joining us on the Path Radio Mix online. And to get there, type in thepathradio.com. That's thepathradio.com. And enjoy free streaming music all day long. That's it. thepathradio.com. All right, now let's get to the main show, the monthly social podcast with me, your host, Guido Perino, as you go on with Guido. We are marching right along with season four, episode three here on the monthly social on this all music exclusive show. I'm kicking things off in Las Vegas with Stacy David Blades, guitarist for Crashing Wayward, formerly of LA Guns. Next, we'll chat with music therapist and author Jennifer Buchanan. Then we head over to Nashville and hear from CCMA multi-nominated country star Gotta Be Alley. I've got music articles and loads of fresh music from Crashing Wayward, Gotta Be Alley, and more. So let's go! Now before we get going, a quick word from one of our friends of the podcast, Johnny Prosciutto. Johnny Prosciutto, artisanal Italian homemade products. We make it like our grandfather, or as we say, no, no, naturally cured, old-fashioned, and delicious. Order online at johnnyprosciutto.com, and we deliver right to your front door, where the only thing left for you to do is enjoy it with your friends and family. That's johnnyprosciutto.com. All right. Thank you for coming back, everybody, and joining us today here on The Monthly Social the March episode, and I am truly grateful for everybody that takes the time to uh, listen to our show and give us feedback and uh, download us and stream us and talk about us, and so do the guests. The guests all appreciate it too. Now, all the songs that you hear on here on the Monthly Social, you can also hear uh, over on thepathradio.com. That's our affiliate internet radio station. It's a free radio station. And um, you can download a free iOS app for it, take it with you on the go. And there's all sorts of cool programming there. Um, Great website that has links to articles and news and music news and stocks and all sorts of great things. So check it out, thepathradio.com. Now this month on the show, it is an all music episode. Now typically we have a music guest and then I talk about some other things and and blend a whole bunch of different topics together. And I'm still doing that uh, this month, but they're all going to be music-based topics and guests. So it's kind of exciting that we're doing a March um, music episode. And it got me to thinking of, um, you know, this month maybe in music history. What's what's gone on in March uh, in terms of music history? Well, there's no better place to start than March 1st. So March 1st, 1941. The first FM radio station opens in Nashville. Now, how cool is that? Because later in the show, we're going to be talking to Gotta Be Alley from Nashville. And you're going to love, you're going to love that segment. On March 2nd, 1967, the Beatles song Michelle is named Song of the Year at the Grammy Awards. On the same day, March 2nd, 2005, the iTunes Music Store marks its 300 millionth song sold. Talk about transformation in music. On March 5th, 1963, 
Patsy Cline is killed in a plane crash near Camden, Tennessee. We lost a wonderful artist on that day. March 7th, 1985. We Are the World is heard on the radio for the first time. Then on March 8th, 1973, Grateful Dead keyboardist, vocalist, harp player, Ron Pigpen McKernan dies of cirrhosis of the liver. On March 9th, 1997, the notorious B.I.G. is shot and killed. March 11th, 1997, Paul McCartney is knighted by Queen Elizabeth II. And Sir Paul it has been since then. On March 13th, 1973, Pink Floyd releases Dark Side of the Moon It remains on the charts for 741 weeks from 1973 to 1988. There was an estimated over 50 million copies sold. What a phenomenal achievement and what a great album from Pink Floyd. March 19th, 1982, Randy Rhodes dies in a plane accident. Yet another tragic, tragic music loss. Next, on March 20th, 1969, that will be a day remembered because John Lennon and Yoko Ono were married. On March 25th, 1967, The Who made their U.S. concert debut in New York. Then we celebrate a birthday on March 26, 1948, Aerosmith's Steven Tyler. Happy birthday, Steven. And then we'll end things off on March 27th, 1986. Van Halen debuts a new lead singer, and that is Mr. Sammy Hagar. That's a lot of music news, right? Throughout the, throughout the years and, and, and days. And I'm sure if we went through the whole calendar year, we'd, we'd have all sorts of different things happening. But, you know, there's, there's highs and lows there, right? There, there's um, people we lost, people that came into our, our music world, um, special events, things that have happened, reasons to celebrate music, reasons to reflect on music. But music is always here, and it always marches on. Now, if you enjoy that little bit of music history and you want a little shot of it every day, if you head over to Twitter and follow the Path Radio account, it's at the Path Radio. I'll put it in the podcast notes. Throughout the day, you will get tweets on different things that have happened throughout history that are music-related. They're fun, and you could share them with friends and family. But now we are going to make a little bit of history of our own, and that is because we're going to go talk with Crashing Wayward Axeman, formerly of LA Guns. Here is Mr. Stacy David Blades. I'm welcoming to the show Crashing Wayward Axeman, former Rocks Gang, LA Guns, and Electric Radio King, six string slinger and guitar guru, Mr. Stacy David Blades. Welcome to the show, Stacy. How are you? Hi, good, good, to, good to be on here. Hey, you don't, fellow, fellow Canuck. Fellow Canuck, yeah. You don't mind if I, like, it doesn't bother you when somebody says Mr., does it? No. Sir? No. <laughs> You get older, they start, you know, the younger kids start calling, here you go, sir. <laughs> hey, so speaking of Canuck, you're yeah. born a Calgarian, you're raised yeah. a Torontonian, uh-huh. then you, you go Los Angeles on us, you travel the world, and you got a lot of miles on your guitars, and, and you end up settling in Las Vegas. 
How did yeah. you? Uh, how did you land in Sin City? Well, I was actually in Florida for eight years because that's where Florida. rocks came. So I went from Toronto to St. Petersburg, Clearwater, which was complete. You know, <laughs> I was like, "Whoa, I am not in Kansas anymore." I mean, that was culture shock. You know, going from big city to you know, you know, Clearwater, St. Pete's very. It's very rural. It's not like a big, it's a small place, you know, beach town, but you get inside from the beach area. It's very, you know, Southern, very Southern. And, and you know, having long black hair in the early nineties and skinny jeans, it's like, you know, it was like, <laughs> you don't walk around out like that too often, you know? So uh, eight years there, then I moved to LA uh, so I was LA for 14 years and then, um, Vegas now almost 10, 10 years. So you call it home? Vegas is home? Yeah. You know, it's just like everybody's mass exiting California. So yeah, uh, yeah it's home for now. Uh, it's, it's easy. It's a great city. It's really grown. She's in the last two, three years. It's just blown up. I mean, there's like 2 million people here now. What's the, I was going to say, what's the, you've been there for a while. What's the biggest change you've seen in Vegas? Traffic. <laughs> <laughs> but you're used to that from Toronto. Yeah, and LA too. I mean, it'll never be as bad as LA, but um, what's cool is that it's this, you know, Vegas, it's becoming a real city. You know, we got the Raiders now with Legion Stadium. We got the Golden Knights. Um there's just so much being built here, and it's just the city's just expanding, expanding itself, it's becoming a little bit more um, diverse, which is nice because it wasn't like that, you know, when I moved here. Um, so there's a, and there's a lot of great things to do. Uh, you know, it just used to be the strip, and that was it. And it's like there's so much more to the city outside of the strip. Um, and that's what I'm, I'm finally starting to see some some cool areas outside of that because um, I never go down there unless I have to. Um, I think that's what everybody thinks, right? Las yeah. Vegas, the Strip. Yeah. Now, yeah. my my mom, I haven't been to Vegas. My mom, who's eighty six, she's been to Vegas, but I haven't been to Vegas. <laughs> so, and um, she reminds me quite often. <laughs> so. It's a cool city. There's there's a ton of stuff to do, you know. So it's got a it's got a cool vibe where it's not just like Las Vegas. It's it's like a you know it's like kind of a real city now. So um, hey, so are you are you noticing the LA crowd moving to Vegas? Oh, there's so many people from uh, not just LA, just California. Period. Uh, yeah. That are moving, but um, it's uh, you know it's funny. We don't want to go back to LA. It's like you know I never thought I would leave there. That was like home. You know, I was going to be buried in in L.A. Um, And when I go back, it's just it's changed so much and it's so overcrowded. And it's just everything is is just a beating, just being there, just getting around and parking and and just, you know, everyday functions there. And I, I think a lot of people got to a point where they got fed up with that. And just the cost of living is ridiculous. Oh, really? You know, when the gas spike thing happened, it was like $7 a gallon of gas. I mean, I know it's a high up in Canada, but it's like, and the rents, for what you get there, it's just like, and in Vegas, you know, I think that's why, and the secret got out. It's just like, oh, you know, you can, you know, uh, 
rent a house for like, you know, two under $2,000, you know, a month. In you Vegas. can't even get a one bedroom apartment for in LA for that. You know? Sounds like, it does sound like Toronto. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you know, it's, it's nice. I mean, I live in a golf course gated community in the, you know, a four bedroom house for, for like $2,000 a month. Nice. It's like, you ain't getting that in LA. <laughs> You were uh, you were down here in Toronto last uh, last October, I think, right? Yeah. October two thousand twenty-two. Yeah. And in one of your Instagram shares, and anybody who's not following Stacy on Instagram, if you go and you search Stacy David Blades, follow Stacy. I'm going to have that in the podcast notes because I know when we're talking, it's a lot for people to write and, and listen. But um, one of your posts, you were in the harbor front area of Toronto, which is a, it's a beautiful area. But you said this, you said it's got a very cool Chicago slash New York City vibe. And I, I was thinking to myself, what exactly is the, what exactly is that vibe? And didn't Toronto have it before? I think it, it always did. You know, I, I, I remember, you know, going, there was a big cap where it was like, I had been to Toronto and um, I just was blown away that the, I didn't even recognize it, like, you know, the downtown area, which was always big, but then it was like, it just became this expansive with all the condos and the lakes front and everything like that. And I, wow, you know, reminded me a lot of Chicago. Um, it's always been a great city, the diversity, the culture. Uh, I think it's more so amplified now. Um, but yeah, I've noticed, you know, having grown up there as well. Um, but there was a gap between 2011 to 2019. So there was eight years I hadn't been there. And I remember when I, in that, in, when I went in 2019, I was just floored. I was like, where did all this come from? <laughs> yeah, it's probably one of the, that area is one of the, more attractive things in Toronto these days. So. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, I got a buddy that lives right down there that I grew up with. Uh, so um, that's why I was down there that night. Yeah, yeah, right we, on. He lives right well, one of those tall buildings right uh, on the harbor front there. So we just walked down to that uh, Amsterdam, I think the bar was called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's right. Now, um, you grew up in Toronto, and I, I'm just wondering, you know, when little Stacy David Blades left Toronto, when your journey started, yeah. did he envision the the journey that that you've gone on? I mean, uh, it, it was it so, a dream to do what you've done, and did the dream come true? Are you still living the dream? Yeah, you know, I look back you know, on on you know the things I've accomplished. I'd be on my wildest dreams, you know. Um, I think it started where it was like, um, you know, very proud of where I came from, but I always envisioned myself. My goal is to make it as an American musician. So when I, when I got the opportunity to move to the States and join Rocks Gang, that was like, okay, that was goal number one, right? You, I was just fixated on that goal. I was just like, oh, wow. It's just like, okay, you pulled this off. So you were kind of in it. You don't really see it, but it's just like, oh, right, here we go. Um, looking back on those eight years in Florida, it was very hard. You know, I, 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 was expecting a different outcome from that band. Um, granted, the musical climate completely changed in the matter of the first six or eight months that I joined that band. And it was like, oh, you know, 
I was so excited and like here, you know, you just like, you're running hundred miles an hour and then all of a sudden, boom, you just hit that wall. Like what just happened? Um, so the fact, I think I lasted eight years was like really showed my commitment to, you know, pushing forward, pushing for something else. And, um, you know, when I moved to Los Angeles from, from there, um, that was kind of the best thing I, I really did. And I, I, you know, I was scared shitless. I was like, what's, what's next? But I, I, I'm kind of a guy where I'm really like, I, I visualize and, and because I visualize, I, I'm able to manifest, you know, a lot of things. Um, cause I'm so, I, I focus on just good things are going to happen, you know, perseverance. So, um, after being in LA for like a couple of years, you know, got the LA guns thing. Um, so there, there was, there was a couple of years where it's like, you know, I was really busting my balls. I had this band called super cool that I started, uh, that kind of got put together while it was still in Florida. And that band only lasted eight months. We went to Japan, which was, that was a dream come true. You know, we went to, uh, Japan for a week. Did like five shows over there. So that, that was amazing. And then out of that band, uh, there was, uh, there was another band that, um, kind of manifested from that, uh, uh, band. And that, that was called smack. It was kind of like a, um, kind of a pop punk alternative thing. And the, you know, the scene in LA was really happening then in like 2002, 2003 was really, really happening. And that band almost actually got signed to Island. Um, the A&R person named Nancy Walker, she was really interested in us. And um, the band just imploded. It was not my doing. Um, and then I was like, now what? And, you know, the universe had something bigger, better for me. So literally a month after that band broke up, I got the LA Guns gig. And what's funny with it was I was so removed from that kind of music, I almost didn't take it. As my head was in this, you know, kind of, you know, replacements and psychedelic furs and sex pistols. Oh, and wow. um, I was basically there musically. So when the, the LA Guns thing came up, I was just like, you know, I don't know. I mean, I always loved that band. But then I, then I said to myself, if I don't take this off, this is a, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. If I don't pursue this or take this, I'll regret it. And I'm really, really happy that I did take it because I had 10 wonderful years um, with that band, 10 more tours, five awesome albums, three of those produced by legendary, late great Andy Johns. So it was a great experience. Now, in that moment, when you're contemplating, do I take this or do I go there? And I was going to say to you, you know, what was your journey from Toronto to Canada to LA? And, you know, how do you, how do you get this? Do you have a plan? And it, I, part of it is I'm listening and it's like, well, I do have a plan, but then these other things kind of happen and then I have to rejig the plan. Yeah. And, and I, I meet some people and maybe it's the right time. Maybe it's not the right time and something happens and, and I'm adjusting yeah. again. Is that, is that life in music? Like when you're in that, I, 
I think a lot of it's kind of just the, the where you are at the moment. I think it's your persistence and uh, your talent is a huge thing. Um, you got to have all of those things. Um, you know, for, for me, it's kind of kooky. It's like, um, I remember when I was like 21 and I had uh, the first LA Guns album vinyl in my hand in the right hand and the left hand had the rock skating vinyl and I said this is this is the kind of stuff I want to do it's kind of dark dirty glam kind of thing <laughs> and I look back and go holy shit I was in both of those bands <laughs> <laughs> and I think what it was is that you know um, I'm really into metaphysics and law of attraction set that you I put that out in the universe and the universe like literally lined that up you know, accordingly. And I don't think that was a coincidence. I was in both those bands, you know, I manifested. Your, um, your, your hesitation, were you worried about losing an identity that you had built up? I think, uh, it's kind of interesting because I look back and go, you know, I was always that replacement guy, you know, uh, hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's, but at the same time, it's like, you know, you're stepping into someone else's success or someone else's, you know, shoes, so to speak. You get all those accolades, but it's like, you you know, I mean, yes, I did records with both of those bands and some very critically acclaimed, especially Tales from the Strip. Um, yeah. like, um, so you set your mark. You know your stamp, your stamp of you, but at the same time, it's like you're all you have nothing really to do with that band, so to speak. And I think that that was I got to a point where you know over the last five or ten years, it's like you know what, it, you know I'm going to go out on a high note, do my own thing, do my own thing as a modern, relevant artist, and that is all starting to happen. You know, that, that's a tough decision because it would have been easy to just hop in some other band, you know, seven years ago or so. And I'm like, you know what? I've, I've done that for decades. I'm not doing it anymore. You know? And we'll move, you know, Stacey, oh, you just joined the you know, the next replacement guitar player in this band. And I, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want that to be my legacy, you know? That's, it's, so, it's deep. It's deep, Stacey. It's yeah. deep. It is yeah. because the top decision is just like, well, get ready because you're starting all over again. Okay, so I was going to ask you a bit later, but let me get it out of the way because it's not really where I wanted to focus too much of it because you got all this other cool stuff going on. You brought up LA Guns, and and I I'm I remiss in this because you know um, I don't want to talk too much about where you've been because it's exciting about where you're going, but folks that are going to go, Hey, he's talking to Stacy blades, right? Stacy, David blades, LA guns. We've got to talk some LA guns. Uh, and I want to bring this back to Canada and hockey if I can. Right. So, um, I know, right. Where, where's Guido going with this? Um, look, your tenure in LA guns, you, you, you wore, it's a crest, right? Like you got a crest on your Jersey, no matter what, no matter if you're considered the, a, a replacement for the number of years, but you said it, you've got your own accolades. You put your own stamp on that, on that band and and forever people are going to remember Tales from the Strip. Forever people are going to remember the work on Tales from the Strip, right? And other thing, but what is the LA Guns logo 
on the front of your jersey mean to you for all those years? Like even when you're moving forward, what do you, what does that mean yeah. to you? I, I think it was a, I was an important part of that band in the history of that band. I, it was like LA Guns 2.0, yeah. you know, um, and very grateful for it, very proud of, um, you know, all the records we did rips the covers off uh, tales from the strip Hollywood forever. The live records really kick ass too, that we did at the whiskey. Um, so I, I think it's like, you know, that time I was in that band, it was like, I was identified with that band, which was a huge honor and kind of a head trip too. Cause it's like, here's this guy from just, you know, West end of Toronto. And, you know, I'm, playing in Sydney, Australia to, you know, a packed, packed big venue. And I'm like, this, this, this is awesome, man. It's like <laughs> more of this, please. You know? So I think creatively too, uh, those two records, uh, besides the cover and live record, um, those two albums really stand out as far as like the whole LA guns catalog, not dismissing anything, um, from their early catalogs because those are great records. Yeah. But I think I put my stamp uh, on that as as a band with you know Adam Hamilton and Scott Griffin and Phil Lewis and Steve Riley um, as uh, you know contributing to the songwriting, the playing, and of course having Andy Johns produce those records. Phenomenal sounding records. He, you know, um, so I think that that's an honor. Like I look back and go, that's, I'm really proud. I've got fond memories of that. I don't have fond memories of Hollywood forever because the band was getting very disconjointed at that point. And I think we had been around each other for so much. We were just had contempt for, you know, <laughs> it happens. <laughs> I mean, we stopped in 18 months and then we went right to that. And then we went on the world tour again by the end of it, you know, it was like, you know, you had had you had had enough, you know. We're all You had enough cheeseburgers together. Um, yeah. What? One more. <laughs> what is your fondest LA Guns moment? Oh God, there's so many. You know, I think the the looking back and recording that album uh, was so exciting. You know, it was so exciting. Every day going in there was just like. <laughs> the energy we had just this excitement because the songs are so good and um and it was it was very kind of new it, we, we were we were you know the band wasn't trying to recreate hollywood vampires or cocked and loaded it had this whole kind of newish vibe to it but we, it was very classic sounding too um i think that's what was so excited i think there's so many proud moments like i said you know Touring the world with them, you know, getting to to to, to go to Australia twice and, and play in, in Tokyo and and you know playing pack pack concert in London and and um, <laughs> so many great moments, you know. Um, yeah, there was just so, so many great memories, especially playing with all the other bands like Skid Row and um, oh, right, yeah. and play with White Snake and, and, and Scorpions and, and uh, just a lot of amazing amazing memories yeah yeah i was gonna say some great memories there stacy yeah um so you've got all these amazing accolades and and you know you're rocking around the world 
Uh, but there's another there's another part of Stacy David Blades, and it's the teacher Stacy David Blades. I understand that you have some students of rock. <laughs> yeah, quite a few. Yeah, yeah. Um, been teaching guitar for a long, long time since the mid '90s, and I didn't go to school for it or anything. Um, you know, I just I just teach the way my teachers taught me, um, which is a very fundamental, straight approach with a little theory, and um, I love it. You know, um, and not only that, it, uh, um, it, it's a constant learning curve, you know, whether you have a beginner or an advanced student or, you know, an intermediate student and you're always playing, you know, I play guitar every day. It's awesome. You know? Now, when, when you were learning, mm-hmm. um, were you playing guitar? Like how, how often were you playing guitar? Like when you were first starting out? Young again, young Stacy David Blitz. Are yeah. you playing guitar every day, all day, whenever you could? Yeah. Are are you like La Bamba? Are you Los Lobos carrying your guitar to the beach and all that stuff? Or, um, you know, I would take breaks from it because it's like as a kid, you know, I had to do my homework and and um, <laughs> you know, I did like you know to play sports and stuff like that. But it was always uh, every day it was in my hands, and you know, I I'd taken piano uh, steadily for two years when I was. Mm-hmm between the ages of nine and 11. So I was kind of a very well-schooled musician at that point. So I got good on guitar really quickly from the, on the piano study. Um, so very blessed to have had been doing, you know, playing music since I was a little kid. Um, but yeah, I was, I was, that was the only thing I was good at other than, you know, golf. It was either golf or, <laughs> or guitars. <laughs> like I was not, not, you know, didn't do well in school. I was just a daydreamer, you know. They're like, what's wrong with him? <laughs> thinking, he's thinking about guitars. It, that was kind of it. Was that it? Was it? That was it. It was nothing else, you know. It was just like I'm, I'm going to make it as a musician if it kills me, you know. So. Um, Has uh, I so that was that was always your plan, and music was always yeah. your plan. Yeah. Have uh, has has a student has any student ever driven you off the uh, the proverbial edge when you're trying to teach them, or is it all pretty cool? No, it's just like you got to have a level of patience because it's like you were that. It's like you were there, like you know, you were that guy. And I had I had a kind of funny moment, you know, um, and I was teaching Stairway to Heaven to one of my uh, students who's wow. older, like sixty. And he's been with me for about, about a year or so. Uh, a lot of acoustic songs, you know. But, and I had this moment. I remember my teacher, when I was 14, trying to teach me the solo to Stairway to Heaven. And I just, I, I just didn't care. I wanted to learn. I wanted to play Ozzy and, and, and Judas Priest. And, you know, even though I, you know, as a kid, I grew up in Zeppelin. But at that time, I was 13 or 14, you know. I didn't want to play. That was old to me. I wanted to play all this new stuff. I wanted to play, you know, Judas Priest and, and you know, Pat Benatar and Rush and all this other stuff. And I remember him just like, duh, forget it. You know, I, was just, I couldn't, I couldn't care. <laughs> but like, I just thought as a teacher, like I had that moment where I was just like, oh man, that poor guy, he probably just wanted to throttle the shit out of me. <laughs> Yeah, on the way to stair on the stairway to heaven. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's right on. Um, so, guitar isn't your only isn't your only skill. You you uh, ventured out into book writing at some point as well. You had a you had a book out 
called Snake Eyes, Confessions of a Rockstar. That was back in 09. And I thought, I thought you had plans to re-release it with the, you were going to put some additions. And I was, I was actually trying to find the book and it's not available for purchase, except I found a copy on eBay and they want a hundred, 115 bucks, man. <laughs> but I don't see a cent of it. <laughs> <laughs> but it, the book got good reviews and I, so it's not out there. Any plans to put it back out or? Um, you know, I took it off the market because I was um, years ago shopping a, I had kind of, I wouldn't say rewritten it, but additionally written another seven chapters or something wow. like that. Um, I think I just got to the point where I'm like, you know what, I, I, I don't want to do this again. It's like I had, you know, put myself out there and I just, I never re-put re it back on the market. And I'm like, it is what it is. Um, you know, I'm, I'm glad I did, I did it. Looking back, it's like I wish I'd kind of spent a little bit more time. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's an okay book. I mean, I, I don't consider myself a writer, like, you know, because I'm not. I just was writing down my life story. As you know, know, there's a lot of crazy moments to it. Um, but it's funny because, like, somebody that gets that now, reads that now, it's like, the timeline ends like 15 years ago. It's like, you know. <laughs> we want more. We want more. We want more, Stacy. <laughs> Maybe. All right. All right. Yeah. Listen, um, you've talked about the different bands that, you know, you've, you've uh, gone through some changes and, and mm -hmm. uh, you've gone through a, a couple of iterations. And, um, you know, when it comes to musical direction, yeah. how do you know? How do you know as a musician that you want to change musical direction um, or that you need to change? Like, do you hit a wall? Is, is there an epiphany? What, what happens? Like you said, well, you know, man, I was playing Sex Pistols, but, and I had to change my, my, my thinking and I was going to go play this other style. But then you're playing that style and then 10 years go by and you go, I, I got to change again. I, I feel like changing. What, what brings that on? I think it. I think it speaks to you internally um, with your musical soul. You know, I like lots of different kinds of music, and and for 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 years from two thousand three to to you know two thousand and sixteen. You know, I was playing all that you know um, stuff from all the, from the eighties, and it's like I, I got to a point like. I can't play this kind of music anymore. I just, I'm burned out on it. It's just, it wasn't doing anything for me. Um, not to say anything bad about it because, um, I had a lot of fun memories. Um, I think I reached a point where it's just like, you know, you, you, you plateau certain something. And so some people can play, you know, a certain kind of music for forever. And they're cool with that. For me, I'm like a kind of a chameleon. I'm always like changing, and it's like I I always kind of looking at a bigger, you know, picture to paint. And I there was I think it was one what was it like 2016 or something like that. I, I had this band, this all star band called Let It Rock, and I, I just kind of remember one night I was playing, and I kind of had this moment where just time stood still, and I I kind of looked around, and I looked down at me, and I, I just, you know, kind of looked with my ears, I'm like, I'm, what, have I, 
what have I done? I've lost myself. And from that moment, um, you know, I, I just kind of immediately changed. I, I want to go back to that guy in an early L.A. who had just this fire up his ass and was playing this kind of artsy, glassy, cool, punky kind of rock. And that's the guy I've gone back to, you know. Mm-hmm. Something, something spoke to me. So um, immediately after that, I was like, you know, I retired all the old 80s guitars and, you know, and got back to playing Les Pauls again and, 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 and Tellys started playing, just fell in love playing Telecasters. And I just kind of started writing music again like I used to, you know, when I was in my early 30s. And uh, it felt really exciting and fresh. I think I just needed a change and, um, you know, a change of my persona as well. You know, I changed my whole kind of look and my, just my whole vibe. And, uh, I felt like it was just, it was time to do that. And, um, it, that just, it just spoke to me for me to do that. Self-reflection, right? Yeah. I'm digging the hat, by the way. That's cool. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That's, uh, my, my uh, singer, Peter Summit has this amazing clothing company called, uh, home apparel that dates back to the late sixties with John Lennon. And, um, uh, there's actually some really cool pictures of John Lennon in a home t-shirt. And, uh, so Pete's got this great clothing company, very vintage high end kind of stuff. So, um, this is, uh, one of his hats from his company. Oh, you should shoot us over the link. We'll put it in the notes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, as you're, as you're going through the changes and the evolution and the self-reflection and, and mm-hmm. you're re- you're reinventing yourself, right? Yeah. Um, you, you do end up finding some success with a new band called Electric Radio Kings. And in 2019, um, you guys released an album, I think it's called Purr and, and, and things seem to be going good. You got some traction and then it's like, um, things got things got ghosted like you guys everything stopped and i was like was it was and and, you know 2019 2020 we're getting into pandemic time was it pandemic related do we no you know you know that band was forced um it started from a session i had been working with um the singer from new orleans um in fact we were the last two people to work with uh andy johns before he died um so that guy had called me and Paul Christiani had called me up again to do a session. I said, well, let's, let's, you come to Vegas. Cause I, I was living in Vegas uh, at the time. And uh, this would have been 2017. So I'd already been here for about four or five years. So we, we wrote a bunch of songs and they were like really, really good. And we recorded them. We got a couple other guys on the session and, um, it was just so good that I'm like, this, this just can't go to waste, man. And I, I just kind of knew this is going to bite me in the ass. And I said, to him, come on, we got to, we got to do a band with this stuff. And he agreed. Cause I knew in the long run that this was not going to last. I knew. And it didn't, he had quit already like six months into it. He quit. And then his friend talked him back into it. 
And I'm like, this thing's on borrowed time. But at the same time, all this crazy, great stuff was happening. You know, we were getting played on Alice Cooper's radio show. You know, we were getting all this national airplay. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're doing a record with uh, Mike Gillies. And uh, then we re-recorded a version of um, Amy Winehouse's Back to Black. And then that was like, came out so well. It was like, oh. I guess that's going to be the single and you know the singer Paul had some money so he'd sunk it into like radio promotion and next thing you know it's like wow we, we just entered 86 on Billboard's mainstream rock charts and we watched it climb over three three and a half four weeks from 86 all the way up to 28 then you know this label that was a the division of Universal, they wanted to sign us. Then Larry Mazur, who used to manage Kiss, uh, Lamb of God, uh, the Cinderella's uh, old manager, he was going to sign us to his huge company. It was all happening. And right when all that stuff happened, the other shoe fell. And the singer, we played this huge show in Houston, and he was like, screw you guys, I quit. That was it. And I just <laughs> I'm like, what the f- is happening? I knew this was going to bite me in the ass, and boy, boy, did it! You know, so it's record stiffed. You know, it didn't uh, get through. Yeah, Larry Mazur did not sign to a management deal, and uh, that was it. Done over. Just like three years. Just you know, I mean, it's nice to have the billboard plaque up on my wall, but I mean. You know what? I look back at the time. I didn't understand it, but I do now. And that was all meant to happen to give birth to Crash and Wayward. And I'm very, so I'm very grateful. You know, because um, that band was not meant to be to begin with. So it was a good tra- training process for this band. Um, so yeah, it's all good. It's all good. Stacey Blaze is crashing wayward, but forward. And with that, we're going to take a short break to hear from one of our friends of the podcast. And when we come back, we're going to focus for a few moments on something a little bit more personal that you went through, Stacey, that made music and life emotionally uh, more challenging recently. So stay with us, folks, to hear more from Stacey David Blades right after we hear from our friends at Chaser's Juice. Hi, I'm Richard Chase, introducing... Chaser's Fresh Juice, a local business in Toronto. We've been in business for over 20 years, initially supporting our local Toronto area and now servicing all of Canada. Chaser's provides fresh organic juices, ingredients, including citrus zests, dehydrated garnishes, and fresh citrus peels to enhance any cocktail or recipe you can think of. We have successfully supplied restaurants, distilleries, crop breweries, and bakeries across the country. Reach out to orders at chasersjuice.com for any questions you may have. We are a customized fresh juice company, and I'm sure we can help you. Thank you. Welcome back, folks. We are here with Stacy David Blades as we continue our chat here on The Monthly Social. I wanted to pause, and I had mentioned the pandemic, um, mm. and I wanted to ask something. Yeah, um, yeah. 
you know, the, the pandemic, uh, Stacy, it impacted people in a lot of different ways. And, and, uh, um, before you and I started, we, we talked about yeah. some personal loss before we kicked mm-hmm. this thing off officially. Uh, your wife, Paula Ann uh, Motter, uh, passed away on November 19th, 2021, and yeah. it was due to COVID-19. And I, I'm, I'm sincerely sorry yes. for your loss. Uh, and you've talked about music in this whole time period. Paula was a very talented esthetician and artist. She had her own studio. Um, you know, while you're going through all of this and then that happens, the, 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 the previous band kind of breaks up. Paula, that happens to Paula. Um, how does her passing influence your music? And, and I guess more importantly, as you and I have been talking, we've been talking a lot more about life direction, right? Yep. How does this change your life direction? And, and you've had other things happen recently too. Yeah. Um, I think it was, uh, you know, what's, what saddens me is that she never, she was, she was my biggest champion. And, you know, she saw the birth of the band and, you know, we had actually gotten separated, um, not by my choice, but four months before she passed away. And it's, it saddens me that she never got to see real, the, the development of the band becoming on our way to being successful. Um, I know she does from above, but, um, that was tough. Um, you know, life changed uh, a lot for me in, in 2021, and, and it was really the, 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 the band that kept me together. And um, if it wasn't for the band, I, God, I, I don't know where I'd be, you know. Um, and I'm so grateful for everybody, you know, and Pete and Dave and Carl and Sean and our producer Mike, um, our label you know, those guys got me through, but we all had these hardship hardships, you know, just in the course of the two and a half years, it's like, you know, Dave Brown, the guitar player's mom just recently, you know, passed away three, four months ago. Mike, our producer, his mom passed away, lost a couple of dogs. Um, you know, Paula passed away. My father just passed away. It's just all these things. And it's like, it's this, this test. And, um, but it's brought us, you know, really close together. But, um, one cool thing is there was a song that Pete and I wrote, um, after, you know, Paula and I split up and it took a little different direction after she died. And, uh, it's called Velvet Drawn and it's, uh, no, it's going to be dedicated to her. And it's, it's kind of about, it's a loss of love, life, and um, dealing with that. And we put it as track, uh, the last track on the album, which would be the 11th track. And, you know, her birthday was 11-11. So um, it's uh, very proud of that song. It's very, very emotional, kind of dark, kind of alternative ballad, I'd say. I, you know, I keep pushing forward and, um, you know, um, it's it, like I said, if I hadn't had the band, I mean, her death damn near destroyed me, you know, so I'm very grateful for the guys. And, uh, so you just you have to keep pushing forward. 
And and you've worked it into your you've worked it into your music as part of the um, yes. I guess reflection and, and dealing with it. You yeah. did a show. You did a show with Ryan Roxy, and mm-hmm. in that show, he he called you a survivor. Mm-hmm. Do you see yourself as a survivor? I think so. It's more like kind of like um, it just you know the, the, all the obstacles. It's like music doing music. It's like you know full time or at this level it's like we'll test your spirit it'll test your soul it'll test your will um and I I, I think that's just like you know though that statement is like yeah I, I you know I've barreled through so many different climates to get where I'm at it's like you know there ought to be a survivor badge <laughs> um because most some people would be just like, I'm done, you know, I'm done. Packing it in. Yeah, I remember flying home from Houston after that Apple Flats Radio Kings. I'm just staring at the seat in front of me, and I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm supposed to get this, you know, just call Larry Nazar on Monday and like get this management deal thing and go. And then I got to tell him, oh, the singer just quit the band, band's over. What do I tell the label? Like our album just got released via Universal that weekend. I'm like, oh, okay. And the band just broke up. I, I was just, I was done. I was going to quit. I was going to quit music. So yeah, that's a kind of yeah, total survivor, man. You, you, know? you made me think of that. Well, there was a movie a number of years back. It might have been called Rockstar, where the you know in the middle of the concert, the singer just walks off the stage, yeah. and and that's it. He's gone. And then they say, well, where did he go? We don't know. Yeah. We just left. <laughs> yeah. So some people, uh, you know, they're just like that. Yeah. yeah. Where'd he go? We don't know. He just but, left. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a quitter, you know. I'll complain. <laughs> but I just have this, you know, voracious spirit that just, you know, I see this thing through that kills me, you know, kind of thing. And that's since I was a kid. I was like that, you know. Stacy, I got all serious on you there for a little, for a couple of questions. Let let me let me bring back and let's have a little bit of fun. As an example, if yeah. I had to pick my rock and roll parents, I think I would pick Joan Jett and John Bon Jovi. So mom and dad, and it'd be real close. Like I think John Mellencamp might have been my like stepdad or maybe uncle or something. Who would you Who would your rock and roll parents be? Um. <laughs> uh, I think. Uh... Pat Benatar and Iggy Pop. Wow, what a combination. Yeah. Yeah. Any Beauty, and, Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> yeah, that's wild, man. Iggy Pop and Pat Benatar. Yeah. That's a good combo. Yeah. I, I wasn't expecting that one. Um, look, you, you, we know you, like we've been talking about it all, all uh, night here. Born and raised in Canada. Were there any aspects or, or musicians uh, from the Canadian music scene that influenced your guitar playing, playing or style? And, um, and then you, you talked a little bit about earlier going to the U.S. And did you notice a difference in the American style playing versus Canadian style? Is there such a thing? Um, I think it was like I took the best of both because I was, you know, of course, certainly influenced by lots of not just American players, but English players, too. Um, you know, as far as Canadian, you know, Alex Lyson was a huge uh, influence on me. Um, you know, Rush, I loved Rush, listen to Rush yeah. all the time. Um, 
but then it was uh, really influenced by like Glenn Tipton as well as, you know, English player, Judas Priest. Uh, but then like, you know, I was like huge Neil Sean fan as well. And Neil Draudin from Pat Benatar. So my, my influences are really the usual, like Hendrix, Jimmy Page, Eddie Van Halen. Um, yeah, I, I took, I took stuff from like, as we all do from lots of different guitar players, but yeah. I'd say my, my influences were different than say, you know, somebody who grew up in LA or grew up in London, you know? Um, so I kind of get my, this, my artistic flair, even rhythmically with chords and stuff, definitely from Alex Lyson. I loved how he just utilized space and like modes and, and he just, he was such a unique guitar player. And I, that really spoke to me, um, as a, as, especially as a teenager and stuff like that. And it was really into Randy Rhodes as well. Um, so kind of, I like a lot of different guitar players. I kind of would always try to learn something different from everybody, whether it's, you know, a bluesy kind of Hendrixy type thing or that from Jimmy page, or maybe like a kind of, you know, a diminished minor type thing, classical thing from Randy Rhodes or, you know, uh, a fusion esque thing that Neil Sean kind of had, you know, cause he played with Santana as, as a teenager, you know? Um, so like, but there were certain guitar players that really, really spoke to me. And, um, you know, I wanted to be Neil Sean, you know, <laughs> with Alex Lyson. That's who I wanted to be. Those were my heroes, you know? Right on. Uh, so, um, but then, you know, as a teenager, young teenagers really influenced by all the LA metal that was coming out. What an exciting time that was in 83, 84, 85, right? Especially being 14 years old. Yeah. So that was a, that became a big influence to me at that time. But that was, uh, for me, that, that was just kind of short lived during those, those years, you know, playing like that are kind of, you know, through the nineties, I, I, I completely ditched that style. You know? It was an image. It was an image thing at that age. And you kind yeah, of, the image thing. I really went out of style in the nineties, you know, it wasn't about that. And then uh, what was cool was like, um, you know, when Stone Temple Pilots came out, I became a huge fan. They're my favorite band, actually, still to this day. And what I loved about that band is that they just em, 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 embroidered these and embodied all these cool, great styles of like Queen and, um, you know, Cheap Trek and Zeppelin. Yeah. I, I'm like, how perfect is this? And uh, they wrote great songs. They were versatile. And versatile. And then as they, they were like Bowie too, like they had a lot of Bowie, Bowie-isms in there, especially Scott Weiland. And I loved how, you know, they were like Bowie and U2. They just changed every record. And I'm like, this is this, you know, this is my kind of band. And I, 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 I think it took that was a big influence on me. That and Sponge were huge influences on me in the nineties. So and Candlebox. Um, so I think I took a lot of those and injected them 
into crashing wayward, uh, especially the STP influence. You know. um, let's talk crashing wayward. So yeah. you've you've mentioned their names a few times. The lineup has Peter Summit on vocals, David Harris alongside you, Stacey David Blades on guitars, Sean McKee on drums, Carl Rather on bass, yep. and and you're being produced by longtime, 26 years, Metallica mixing engineer Mike Gillies. Yes. Now, I, I'm trying to... Who's also Canadian, right? Yeah. <laughs> Woohoo, Canada. We're, we're Canada representing here. Um, right. How did all of this... How did all of you come together? Like, is it a phone call? Is it you ran into each other at a bar? Like, how did that happen? I think it was a godsend, honestly. We after, um, you know, Electric Radio Kings imploded. Uh, all these guys just came into my life, and it was incredible how it all happened. And Peter and I actually knew each other. We used to hang out. He's from San Diego, and he was in, uh, he had a couple of really cool bands in the early 2000s, and he used to always come up to L.A., and he, he was friends with, my band members at Smack, and uh, we always used to hang out at the Dragonfly and stuff. And we lost touch. Um, so it was a mutual friend. It was a friend of his, Stephen Brunich, who put us in touch. And I wasn't making the connection. And you know, then I heard Pete saying, and then when I realized it was him, I was like, "Oh hell yeah, there is hope." <laughs> And I remember, you know, when we talked on the phone the first time, and he's like, you know, he's like, don't go around, Stace, I'm your guy. I'm like, right you are, you know. Um, I just knew how, what a badass he was, and he's just, um, he's such a gift, um, just not only as a friend, but as a, as a band-aid and, and a creative force and, and the drive, you know, the front man, he's, um, He's awesome. He's so unique. You know, he's Scott Weiland, David Bowie, and Michael Jackson, and Freddie Mercury rolled into, you know, one six foot four tattoo badass. <laughs> he he does. He's got a front man look. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. So people really are, but the, but you know, everybody else is is a, is so incredibly important and unique in this band. And it's like it's like a uh, a classic GNR kind of thing. Like we all have all these different influences that we bring into the band, and not one of them is the same. And it all just works. It's so unique, and uh, just very, just completely blessed to uh, you know have this band. It's, um, it's funny, it's, Stacey. It's funny you said GNR because. Um, as I was listening to your music and, 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 and I, I was actually thinking to myself, cause I didn't know, I didn't know how you guys got together. Right. And yeah. in my head, I was like, you know, there's the old story of GNR and how these little pieces kind of came in and they found each other. And, yeah. and then you kind of listen to the music and, and I actually thought about that. I was like, I wonder if, you know, it has, it, they seem to have all these different elements happening in the music. And yeah. I have some other comparisons that I'm going to wait to when I get yeah. to that question, but, but it's just sure. interesting. So, so I was going to say to you, well, what makes Crashing Wayward different? I think it's, uh, you know, um, it's, it's funny because if you ask, ask, you know, five different people, what is the band, what do you think the band sounds like? You get five different answers. <laughs> um, you know, we've been compared to 
Shine Down to YouTube to Soundgarden to Stone Temple Pilots to the Killers and to the Cult. So I think it's got all these familiar elements that are unique from unique bands all mixed in together. So I think that it really separates us from some of the newer uh, um, or alternative bands because. It's like you hear all these familiar, wonderful elements. Um, and the, the songs are fairly unique as well from a, from a guitar perspective because, you know, Dave, the other guitar player, he plays on all these alternate tunings. So the riffs sound really different because he's in, like, open E. And I'll be in, like, standard drop D. So you, you layer all these really interesting parts which were completely different style guitar players. And it just has this uniqueness to it. Um, so uh, it, it's just kind of interesting how it all came together. You know, we just kind of write. There's four very strong writers in this band, and it just comes out the way it comes out. I can't explain it, really. It's just, do, you, um, do you guys hang cool. out? Do you guys hang out when you're not making music? Uh, usually, I mean, you know, life uh, tends to, to be busy and weeks kind of go by, so um, we we don't... It, it's kind of ironic. My Carl lives right next door to me. So at least wait through the window. <laughs> he moved in the house literally next door to me. Oh, right uh, it was kind of funny, him and his wife, because he was living in L.A., so... Uh, and his wife moved out here in June. And then uh, um, I do see Pete quite a bit. Uh, Sean, uh, ever so often. And uh, Dave, Dave kind of is here once in a while, but his, his home base is kind of in Ohio. So, uh, but uh, yeah, you know, uh, the band sounds great live too. It's just like a lot of bands, yeah, they make great records, but live did. You know, this is a great live sounding band as well. So yeah, um, we're not yeah. talking. Stu- we're not just talking a studio band here. You guys are yeah. going to be live band as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, I think that that's more. You know, very strong live band. So that comes across too, and people see us. And they're like, whoa, wow. Um, so it's it's really firing on on, on every aspect. So we're very we're all very very blessed and grateful to have this. So I gotta I gotta mention this, and you said Scott Wheeland a couple of times, and um, I, I look I had no idea that you were uh, like STP was your favorite um, mm-hmm. band or anything like that, um, and you you mentioned a when people hear us and they they say they hear this and they hear that, um, I actually when I first listened to Breathe, um, which is your single, and we're gonna hear we're gonna hear that on the show as well, um, I actually had a, I had a, a little bit of Scott Whelan and that Velvet Revolver type of feel to the yeah. song, and I it like and when I say that, I a lot of respect because it you know I remember hearing Velvet VR Velvet Revolver at the time and thinking mm-hmm. I love this sound, this is fresh and and it's new yeah. and yeah. it's something different, and that's how I felt when I heard your song when Crashing Wayward's Breathe song. I was like, this is fresh, this is new, this is bringing in all these elements. Uh, yeah. I feel like it's stirring a whole bunch of things in here. It's not cookie cutter. Was that just, it just happened, uh, Stacey? Or, yeah, or? yeah, because we have all these, you know, different, uh, you know, influences as songwriters. Um, 
So you, you bring in uh, different ideas. Like Pete and I have a very fond uh, fondness for early 80s new wave. You know, Duran Duran and Depeche Mode and, you know, um, bands like that. So you'll hear those kind of influences in some of our songs. <laughs> Um, where it almost sounds like a killer's vibe, which is the same kind of thing. It's got that new romantic kind of new old new wave type of approach. Then there's other songs where, you know, we have where it's got a heaviness to it, almost like Soundgarden, uh, Sabbathy. So hmm. one song doesn't sound like the other. Like you put the records very diverse. Um, and that comes from all the different songwriting ideas as there's four very strong writers in this band. So what's it's, it's exciting because it's not just the same song idea that comes in one after another. Over and over. Yeah. So, you know, that's why it's just like, you know, when people hear Breathe, it's like, oh yeah, it's kind of got this U2 element, you know, uh, early U2 and but then it's like it's kind of got this heaviness of like filter and sound art, you know. Um, so yeah, it's uh, we just love sound and layers and you know this artistic kind of void that we just throw in. We write for the song, you know. We write like it just happens. It's it's I don't know. I can't explain it. It's just really cool. I keep making it cool and keep making it happen. Cause I, I think folks are going to love this stuff. What does Mike Gillies um, bring to crashing wayward as you put your stamp on the industry now? Um, you know, he's, he's, he's an amazing engineer and producer. His ideas. It's like, you know, he'll just, he, he just has all these incredible ideas. Um, yeah. I sent you stranger days. And that was a song that Pete and I wrote that brought in and it was like, very different sounding than when it came out like and it's got this ELO vibe to it um, which I love um, but Mike came up you know we had recorded a certain way and it's just not vibing and then I remember going to the studio and Mike had it picked up his acoustic he said Stace I want you to play this and he played this just amazing arpeggiated thing that was kind of like um ELO meets, you know, Goodbye Blue Sky by Pink Floyd. And I was like, dude, that's just amazing. So he brings all these wonderful musical ideas. Um, he just, he tries everything, you know. And at the end of the day, there's like, you know, 30 guitar parts. <laughs> it's like, you know, it took a long time to mix this record for that. But it's like, he just... He has a he, he has a thing like me where he you know grew up in Canada so he grew up in a lot of the same kind of music so to speak. So Mike's all about exploring. Hey, let's try this. Let's try that. Try this, and he just takes the song, and he's like, if you if you hear something, he'll say that doesn't make sense to me. You need to change this. So he he brings out uh, I think a lot of creativity and soundscapes and um, you know arrangements and stuff like that. Um, he's amazing. Yeah. Rocket, rocket, Mike, rocket. Now yeah. you said Stranger Days. We're gonna, <laughs> I, we're gonna hear that in the show. We're gonna hear another one. Disco Kills. Yes. So that was the actually that was the first. We know that was the first song 
brought into badass crashing labor. We were actually, I had reformed this with, and uh, there was a, there was a, a the drummer from Electric Radio Kings was in it. So Sean was in it yet. And we were, we had actually played two shows in LA and Vegas before the pandemic hit. Uh-huh. But then, you know, pandemic hit and then, you know, we got Sean and it was, that's when Pete said, dude, man, you got to change the name. You got to, you got to let, let go of the life raft of that. And he, yeah. That's right. I was like, okay. Um, so Disco Kills, Dave brought that in and we were like, well, this, this is really cool riff. And that's what, this was when I approached Sean about joining. I said, well, this is kind of what we're working on. He goes, dude, that sounds like Brian Sons. I'm like, I go, yeah, that's kind of what we're going to go for. He goes, I'm in, you know. <laughs> but I, I, I actually played with Sean a bunch of times. Uh, we were doing this country thing called Nashville Stars Live. And uh, so he was, he was a no brainer, you know, but I, he heard that song and he heard that riff. Dave, Dave demoed it up. And um, we were like, yeah. So that was uh, that song's pretty special because that that is the that is the start of the Crash Labor is that song. Disco kills. Oh. We're gonna hear yeah. it. Yeah. We're gonna hear that. And then the third one we're gonna hear. And I said it. I said that I gave the, the name away before, and it's been playing. Breathe. It's yeah. getting solid, solid national airplay in the USA. Yeah. Hey, I've been spinning it over on the pathradio.com. It's getting good response there. Uh, it's climbing the charts, even topping some. Look, the song has this sort of reinvigorating um, come home to rock vibe. I, I think the scene is starving for the sound. That's my opinion in terms of the rock world. And when I hear it, when I hear it, Stacy, I think to myself, you guys can open with that song and say, here we are. Um, yeah. Or you can also close with it and say, you are not going to forget us. Right. Are you closing with it? <laughs> yeah. 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 Pete's, Pete's vocal performance is killing on that. Uh, you know, thing about that song you know was that was a uh, a song that carl had been sitting on for 10 years and it was very different it was in a different key it was in g sharp and it was kind of more food fighters ish punky and once mike got a hold of it he dismantled the whole thing he was changed uh he changed totally changed the vocal melody which is what you hear pete sing Mike came up with that whole case. Wow. And he goes, we're going to do this song in 5-4. I go, well, what does that mean? <laughs> and we all, we stumbled through this thing for weeks because it's, it's basically a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 1, 2. And I still to this day have to go done a song in 5-4, you know? So that's another thing that kind of Mike brought, uh, the way he thinks differently, you know? And it, it just works, you know? Yeah, I, like I'm listening to it, and like I said, it's got the sound. And it's funny you're talking about the rhythm of it, because as I'm listening to it, I'm going, this sound, it does sound different. It's got, how, and then I'm thinking, how's he doing that? And then I went to the lyrics, and I was like, let me read the lyrics. How are these, how is the... Like the lyrics are getting spliced a certain way, and it's got a ma- it just really comes together in a really unique way. Yeah, and it's just sort of hope. You know, Pete, Pete is an amazing lyric writer, and um, it's a song of hope and tolerance. And uh, you know, um, after what the world's been through, um, 
it's still going through. It's just like, yeah. it's like we all need to, to, to like God being suffocated, you know, and breathe. There is a line in there that says, and I feel alive for the first time. Yeah. And, and you, it just, when that hits, that pre-chorus hits, yeah. it's like, you guys hit this pocket. You like a, as a fan listening to it, I'm like, man, the band just hits a pocket. And then I'm, I'm thinking to myself, does that happen because you all feel alive for the first time again when you guys come together? I think it was like, it was like kind of out of the ashes of the arcade. I think it, there's a hidden meaning in there too, but out of the ashes of the arcade, you know, crashing wayward. It's like this kind of, you know, thing. I think I kind of take that. I don't know if Pete had that bump. Um, yeah, it's just like, you know, I love this band and I love the songs and I love playing with him. And uh, it's a nice change. It's not forced. It's all, it just very creatively flows, ease of flow. And, um, it's not, like I said, nothing's contrived or forced. It's like it, it, we are who we are and it's, it feels great. Now you, you guys got signed? Yeah, so last fall, um, uh, company RFK Media signed us, and uh, Ron Keel, the label president, Ron's been around a long, long time, of course, um, successful musician himself over the years. Yeah. He heard Stranger Days, and he was like, he said that's the best song he's heard in 20 years. And he goes, you guys wrecked my week. He goes, I must have listened to this 12 times a day, if not more. And, you know, knowing Ron, and he's just one of the hardest working guys, and, and like, we all just kind of said, you know, we can keep shopping this around or go with a bigger label, but this guy will work his fingers to the bone for us, and he's got a great staff. And, you know, he just, he loves that band so much. He wants us to, to be super, super successful. He's like, I'm going to launch you guys into the next strategy. And that was, that was nice because it's like, you know, you don't, you don't get that a lot from other companies who may like you. Yeah, we're going to do this, but they're not going to be like, they're not going to work their ass off for you. It's personal. The personal It's that, you know, the tunnel labels, but, um, so it's, it's hit or miss, you know? So we like that from Ron, you know, and the company that, and we knew that, yeah, this guy's going to bust his ass. Right on. Well, congrats, congrats on the congrats on the label. Um, so you're working on an album. Can you give us some teasers, titles, or time frames? Are are you going to tour the album? Are you going to come to Canada? Yes, we'd love to. Absolutely. Um, the album will be released um, on digital, CD, and vinyl uh, May 12th. The vinyl I don't think will be come out May 12th. Uh, probably come out in the summer. Um, there's 11 songs. Um, the some of the titles and every song is really really strong. Um, there's a great song called Tilly, which is about my friend's daughter who took her life a couple of years ago. Um, there's uh, Death on Holidays, Badass, Mouth to God's Ear. Uh, that's going to be the opening title track. Yeah, that's what we have on a set with. Right on. Of course, you've heard Disco Kills for standard days. Um, there's an amazing song called Staring at Ceilings that's got very sound garden 
kind of Zeppelin vibe to it. Um, there's uh, you know, the song I was talking about earlier, that's going to get into Paula Velvet's Gone. Right. And there's a great, great, uh, another great song called Closer, which has a total kind of killer's vibe to it. So, yeah, there's a lot of, um, it's all killer, no filler, you know. I love it. I love it. And excited. So I just, the, if anybody heard the circling, that was my pen. I circled May 12th on the date. Yeah. Uh, that's when the album comes out, Crashing Wayward, new album comes out, May 12th. Stacy, I want to do something that I haven't done in a long time on the show, and it's a rapid fire. I'm going to ask you some fast questions. You give me fast, uh, fast answers under seven seconds for each. Okay. And we're going to call this seven and seven seconds with Stacy. Okay, number one, Toronto Maple Leafs or the Las Vegas Golden Knight? I think um, I think Golden Knights because I've been living in states a long time. Golden Knights. <laughs> Rush or April Wine? Rush. Poutine or Montreal smoked meat? Poutine. Gibson guitars or Gretsch? Gibson. Marshall amp or Fender? Marshall. On stage, leather pants or jeans? Jeans. Beaver tails or Timbits? That's a beaver tail. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what are those? Beaver tails? <laughs> they're like a, <laughs> they're like a, a you know, a, a, like a dough, and then you okay. put Nutella or something on it. <laughs> oh, okay. And what's a Timbit? Is that something that was Tim Hortons donuts or something? Yeah, the little, the little, the the, the holes that they knock. Oh, out. <laughs> Timbits? Yeah. All right, no beaver tails. We got him. We got him on one of those, eh? Sorry, man. Um, look, man, I want to thank you for coming on the show and for giving us Stacey David Blades personal and unplugged. Um, and before I let you back, I know you got a lot of things going on right now, Stacey. Uh, yeah. Is there anything that you, you'd like to leave us with that I haven't covered? Um, yeah, just to uh, keep an eye on for the album and... Uh... You know, keep keep an eye on great things to come, and uh, you know we're uh, working our butts off, and we'd love to come up to Canada and play. That would, that would be a dream come true, especially uh, you know being from there. And uh, just uh, the new single will be out um, sometime after the album of uh, video, and uh, it's a great record. So um, just want to thank all the fans and all the press, and uh, just. The support has been amazing. Crashing wayward and landing another solid outing in the rock and roll crypt of credibility is Stacey David Blades, who gave us more than a peek behind the guitar as we journeyed from Toronto to Los Angeles and back. He's kickstarted another leg of his lifelong musical tour alongside bandmates Peter Summit, David Harris, Sean McKee, and Carl Rather. We're going to hear more from Stacey David Blades and Crashing Wayward on thepathradio.com and their song Breathe, among the others right here on the monthlysocial.com as we wait for more songs to come. Thank you, Stacy. I hope you'll come back Thank and you keep on rocking. Absolutely. Pleasure. Pleasure uh, being on the show. And thanks for having me. Right on. All right, let's get to one of those songs from Crashing Wayward. Here is Disco Kills. <laughs>
Crashing Wayward with their song Disco Kills. Stay tuned, folks. More songs coming from Stacy, David Blades, and the gang Crashing Wayward. Now, before we get to our next guest, Jennifer Buchanan, let's hear from one of our friends of the podcast, Lee's Fine Car Service Center. Whether it's buying a new car or a quick oil change, Lee's Fine Cars and Service Center has got you covered. Proudly serving the GTA for over 30 years as your one-stop automotive source for sales, service, and bodywork. Come visit us at 87 Green Lane, conveniently located just south of Bayview and 407, or online at leesfinecars.com. I am welcoming to the show award-winning Canadian music therapist, multi-time author, and speaker Jennifer Buchanan. Jennifer is going to talk with us today, well, essentially about the power of music and something most of us can relate to, playlists, as she's written a book about it for us. Jennifer, thanks for being here and welcome today. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, I'm excited and uh, we're going to get through a couple of books. We're going to get a whole bunch through a bunch of uh, a discussion about music and playlists and your expertise. But let's start there. Let's start with credentials. You are a music therapist. Yeah. And I went, wow. I know. <laughs> what is a music therapist? So can you help us understand what that means? And how do you become a music therapist? Right. Well, and you're asking me at such a great time because March is Music Therapy Awareness Month. And so it's perfect that I'm making you aware. Um, we are... Um, we are a, a allied health professional group that provides a variety of services for diverse needs. So our youngest client is two months old. Our eldest client is 104. We walk into hospitals and long-term care and mental health centers and work in corrections and go to schools And we use music as a very specific tool to help people uh, boost their mood, um, regain skills that they may have lost due to brain injury or stroke, to help them uh, recover some of their speech and language that, again, they may be struggling with or have lost due to injury. We will be working um, like counselors at the bedside, face-to-face, full-on interaction, highly relational, using music. So what I like to express to people is you going to a counselor or a therapist or another mental health practitioner um you could also go to a music therapist we are in that same group you must have some awesome wonderful beautiful stories from having worked with like you said two months to 104 years old using music therapy you must have some great stories uh some pretty remarkable stories and probably where the books came from that because of seeing the remarkableness of what music has the capacity to do. Like, you know, I was mentioning about working on speech and I can remember personally working with this absolutely adorable four-year-old and um, he had sustained a head injury. He had had a horrific fall and he had lost his speech and mobility 
And it was the, one of the goals that was put on by mom was, um, I want him to giggle again. And he had lost his giggle, all of the things. And I can remember the day where he was, um, we had put his car seat because again, he was no longer mobile. We put his car seat on a table. I was just below him with my guitar. And I started using a variety of techniques where I start really, really low with my voice and I go very high with my voice. And I did it to his name. And I remember the day that he giggled again for the first time. And from there on, we started working with all his different sounds and and found that speech and language again. It took time. It took many, many months, but uh, it came back. How rewarding. How re- and just to be able to go home at, at night and have that and, and think about it and that you've helped somebody through the power of music. Now, you you talked about you're talking a little bit about the journey here. When we get into your journey as a music therapist, it started out with something quite personal for you. Mm. Um, you sang and played guitar, if I understand this correctly, for your grandfather, yeah. who had had a second stroke. He mm-hmm. was in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit maybe about grandpa and and what happened in that moment and and how that may have uh, helped direct your your life journey or your course in music and music therapy? Yeah. And, and it was a real combo with granny too, because, um, so granddad was in long-term care. He was only 62 and, um, and he would reside there for the rest of his life. And again, this was a situation where the stroke had rendered him unable to walk, unable to talk. I was just a tween and I was learning guitar thanks to public school, public education, get learning guitar. And granny said, would you sing your granddad's favorite song, which happened to be White Cliffs of Dover by Vera Lynn, a really, really old song. And I went home and I learned it. I came back to his bedside. But and and before I tell you that I sang and wonderful things happened and all that, why this is so significant is granted and I did not have a relationship prior to this. He was really grumpy. <laughs> so when granny asked me to sing his favorite song, I didn't know grumpy people had favorite songs. And I certainly didn't think my granddad would. <laughs> and so her request had so many layers and nuances to it. And it felt really uncomfortable to go in and actually sit by his bedside and sing it and awkward. And I was broody about it. And it was a Friday night and I'd rather be watching television. <laughs> and so she then... I was there and um, it would be the first time I'd see granddad cry. Hmm. It would be the first time where he would reach out and actually hold my hand with his good arm. Um, But we also had interesting things happen. We got visitors in that room. So the lady who was normally screaming down the hall started sing. The wandering guy who normally wandered, wandered in. And granny pulled up a chair. And so it's this motley crew of people of like a grumpy guy and a, and a broody teen and a screaming lady and a wandering guy and granny, you know, all together. 
and we're all singing White Cliffs of Dover by Vera Lynn. And um, even though I didn't know what music therapy was in the moment, I knew something was happening. And so when it was again, Granny, about four or five years later, um, we were together and watched a program out of the UK that was featuring Paul McCartney. And uh, there was a school of music therapy, Nordoff and Robbins. And we watched this program together and that was it. It was basically my, my fate was set for my career for a lifetime. Um, I've now been practicing 32 years, so um, I guess it's stuck. <laughs> it's, uh, that's a phenomenal uh, story to have and, and a great memory to mm-hmm. have. Now, you were in your tweens when you sang to gra- your grandfather, and then you had a period of time, you watched a program that kind of, you started to put these these pieces together of, I think this is what I want to do. And that's interesting how your your music pulled in all these different folks as you're playing it. Yeah. And they're all having probably their own experience with that, with that moment. 100%. And, one and song. we do one song. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's awesome. So you have roots in your craft, family roots in your craft, that is. Um, were there any other notable moments that, that have validated the direction that you've taken in terms of practicing music uh, as a, and I'll, I'm going to say this as a healing benefit, but you, you're touching a little bit on mental health maybe too. Yeah. And you know, when I look more deeply into my own personal journey, um, you know, I was just asked today, I just, I just came from right before I'm seeing you from working with, um, a group of people who are going through cancer treatment right now. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I got a question at the end of our session today that I've gotten many times, you know, oh, oh, um, are you, uh, do you also perform? Do you ever want to be a performer? And that has come up a lot in my lifetime. And again, even in my tweens, even though I'd never heard of the term music therapy before, um, I knew, I felt that there was something else I wanted to do with music. So I don't know who's listening to the podcast today, but if you are, you know, if you love music and you're a student and you're in school, but that whole performing thing sounds a little not quite what you want to be doing. I just want to encourage people to look at this opportunity because to answer your question, yeah, lots of things happen. Like, like probably 19 things happened before I learned about the term music therapy. And I was the 133rd certified music therapist in Canada. So I was pretty fresh and, um, and I'm just grateful that I learned about it early Um, because I've also been witness to so many things, you know, like when I started the MRI machine wasn't popular, but now that's where we're getting all our science and research to know exactly like there, how music functions in the brain and how it taps into every center in the brain, you know, our mood center, our motivation center, our memory centers. And that's why it anchors so deeply in all of us and why we can use it 
in a therapeutic way to help people heal and recover and improve and, and in our day to day, just to feel inspired. Um, yeah, it's quite a remarkable, quite a remarkable resource. You're, you're very passionate about it and, and what comes across and I know people are listening and we might release the video, but right now people are listening and it's the authenticity of your passion is inspiring <laughs> as I'm listening to this. Um, and I, I'm glad you mentioned about the path and, and, and a reach out to kids out there in terms of what do you want to do? And, and as you're thinking about what you want to do, because we do, we get students and we get uh, education and sometimes teachers will use this as a, as a teaching tool. Uh, the show, depending on the topics, I get it. We talk about different things, but I think that's one of these, those moments where they can do that. Um, so thank you for doing that. Um, there was another part too, as you were, as you were talking that I thought about was um, the scenarios you've given us, the people who've, who you've applied the music therapy to have been in a scenario. There's, there's been a stroke. There's, there's a situation that they, we want to overcome, but you said, earlier, look, I, I've, I've done this for someone who's two months old, two years old. When parents are singing to their infants, to their babies, to their kids, are they applying a form of music therapy? Like, is that, is, is yeah. that a stretch? <laughs> no, I mean, there's using music therapeutically, right? And we've all done that in our lifetime. I mean, being a music therapist is a profession. So that's unique. But how we use music, yeah, to transform the tone of our home. Um, right. You're bringing up, I remember when the kids were little, um, I they, my kids were 15 months apart and our house was crazy in the mornings. And, you know, I'm always trying to apply the craft to my own scenarios to test it. And one of the things was starting to get up before the kids got up, which for any parent out there, you know how exhausted you are and that's hard to do. <laughs> um, but setting my alarm, actually getting up and just making sure, or because this was before automation, now you can set automation <laughs> to do it, but start music playing in the house at a certain time to set the tone as people wake up. That was one of the greatest strategies I did for when the kids were little. So by the time we got down to breakfast, you know, people are kind of dancing a little in the kitchen or you're humming along because you're doing everybody's favorite songs in the morning. I mean, it doesn't make it perfect. I always say that music does not eliminate every st stress that you have but it creates a little bit of space. It creates some margin in our lives that, that we need. So yeah, for everyone out there who's ever been moved by music, transformed by music, turned a song on and felt different. Yeah. We've all experienced this therapeutic power of music for sure. You have validated my mornings because my oldest daughter says to me, Dad, we never know what we're going to get with you in the morning. You're like a, a walking musical because I sing, <laughs> you know, bring music every morning into our breakfast and things like that. So um, I feel better about that when hearing, hearing yes. you say those things. Yes. Now, Jennifer, you've pulled all of this experience and knowledge 
you've written about it. You've pulled it into a few, you have a few books in, in your library that you've put together. And we're going to get to your most recent one. But the one before this one uh, is called Tune In, A Music Therapy Approach to Life. Can we talk about that? It, 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 was that a prequel to, to your new uh -huh. one? Uh, and yeah. would we benefit from reading that one first before we uh, move into your new one? Hmm, that is a great question. I'm going to say no, you do not have to read Tune In first, but it was a bit of a prequel for me because it came at a time where I wrote Tune In when I actually thought I was coming near the end of my career. As a music therapist, I thought for sure I was going to go into something else um, because as wonderful as I'm making this sound, um, and it is wonderful, on the business side of work and getting enough work and 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 building something for as many years as I did, it happened at the 20th year, and I was really tired. And I just thought I didn't think I had much more energy to keep having to explain what we were doing in order to get more of the work that we were doing. So I wrote Tune In as my closing book to introduce the world to what music therapy is, because I still see the value. And by the time I finished the book, I went, oh, my gosh, I can never leave this profession. I love this job too much. And so it is the book to give to students um, or family members who are interested to know specifically what music therapy is with diverse populations. That's what TuneIn is. Wellness Well Played, um, with the latest book, The Power of a Playlist, although it, it mentions the one technique, it does go deeper into the power of music. It does talk about how music is, um, how it works in the brain, how, um, how it, um, affects us and our, our feelings and our value systems. Like it goes into a lot more than just the playlist. Um, it is for our wellness. It is a reminder that if mental health is health, and if we're going to look after our mental health and our health, we have to put work in. Just like if you, you know, need to um, get some exercise, you're going to buy some new gym clothes and you're going to go out and you're going to start exercising and you're going to put the program in place because we know we need to get it. We need to do stuff. Our body needs to move. We were built for it. Um, music is exercise for our brain. And it is one of the best things we know, as I was saying earlier, that accesses more areas of the brain than anything else, especially music that matters to us. So this book is going to remind you how much music matters to you, even if you've forgotten about it. It's going to give you new exercises that you actually have to work at and wrestle with and struggle with. And that's where that therapeutic application is going to come in. And it's going to remind you about doing an audit of all the people in your life. Do your elders have access to music? Do your kids have access to music when they need it? Um, and, and as you put all the tips and tricks together, that I'm hoping we all use music five or 10% more in our lives and we all feel better because of it.
So the new one, Wellness Well Played, The Power of a Playlist, that's the book. Is there, is there also a workbook? That, that you... <laughs> totally. I'm all okay. about the workbooks. I'm a Virgo. So we like workbooks and checklists. <laughs> so do you buy the workbook separately? Yeah. Okay. I, w- and... I, I think it's good to read the book and do the workbook alongside it. Yeah. So the, you mentioned you're asking questions and, and cause I was going to say, what do I expect when I pick this book up? What would we expect if I'm reading it and it's got exercises, the workbook would help me with the exercise. Okay. Got it. That's so I wanted to make sure everybody understood there's these two parts. You could read it. And then there's also a really cool yes. workbook that goes with it. Right. Yes. Um, in the intro pages of your, of your new book, you write, we are witnessing a major social change throughout the world. People seem to have awakened to a desire to revisit what they truly value. In my circle, I have noticed how people are reexamining the power of music in times of change. Um, are you saying that society is, mu- is using music differently right now uh, as a tool, as a means to overcome whatever situation they be, may be in? And, and how so? Yeah. In your observations, how so? Yeah, you know, and this, so so this was really coming into fruition at the beginning of COVID. Um, so in the clinical space with clients, um, they were going through times where um, it was even harder, like all their transitions and things they were going through in the hospitals and long-term care, like it was mm-hmm. even harder. So those uncertain times were really uncertain for them. And, um, and music brought a sense of certainty. It, that familiar music yeah. reminded them at some level I'm still me and I'm still okay. Amongst my friends, I was finding exactly the same thing. Like I have, I have never known so many people um, buying record players again and we're going for vinyl and we're wanting the tactile experience once again. And just naturally talking about playlists. Oh yeah. I put together my, my get rid of my anxiety playlist. You know, and they're putting them together. So, yeah, I think there's a resurgence. And, you know, I was just looking, you know, I'm always looking at Amazon to go, how good's my book doing? (laughs) And I went there and I went, oh, my gosh, there's like three new books on the science of music and what music is doing. So, you know, I ordered those because, you know, you want to keep up on what's happening. But I think it is becoming popular. I think... Um, we're wanting to know more about it. Um, what I want to remind people though, is it's not just reading about it or learning about it. And yes, I want you to buy the book and do the workbook, but I want to remind everybody, keep going out to live music. Like if you haven't been out for a while and you haven't gone somewhere and actually listened to someone where you felt something, (laughs) you know, yeah, let's do that too. So you 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 brought up the playlist and and some experiences. What are we actually doing when we're creating the playlist? I mean, yes, I you, I've got different playlists and and I'm going to put, you know, the songs I like in the playlist. 
but is there is there something else I'm doing when I'm creating that playlist? And does your does your book help guide us when it comes to that something else? So many. So there's so many different playlists that we can put together. How about um, I will share one of my favorites and um, like just quickly, um, but going through it in the book, it, it will really guide you through all the different steps. But essentially I have people um, use a graph. So there's a graph you will see in the book and on the Y axis at the top of the Y is your best self. So you can, however, you're going to define that. And I take you through the book on how do you define what your best self is. And then at the bottom is your worst self. Like, how would you describe your worst self? And, you know, like some people that's going to be, you know, um, like, just not wanting to get out of bed in the morning, feeling completely overwhelmed, you know, and your most best self might be highly productive and focused and joyful and all the things. So you've got this graph on the Y and then down on the X axis, you've got time of day. And all I want people to think about is just a typical time, a typical day that you would have a Wednesday, whatever day you want to think about And as you go through your day from the moment you wake up till you go to bed at night, how would you plot your graph? Um, Would you be like, are you like me where you're a morning person? I bounce out of bed and I'm able to put a, go right up to the top to my best self. I've got a nice plummet around, you know, dinner time. And then I go up, I bounce a bit again at night. So, you know, I can see my graph in my head. Where in that day would you like to feel 5% different? And I say different instead of better because some people are really ramped up high and feel great at night, but they actually wish they didn't feel quite so ramped up because they're having a hard time going to sleep. So you pick where you want to feel 5% different. And then the book takes you through what feeling do you need to feel different? Whatever word you come up with, one word is the name of that particular playlist for that particular time of day and for you to test it. And it's only a three to five song playlist. Like I've got some playlists in there that are really uber long and that you're going to work on for a long time for the rest of your life. But some are very short and very specific. And as easy as that might sound, um, it isn't that easy. So, so it's just one of those, one of the activities that you can go through. So when you hit my four o'clock slump, I'm going to put on a very specific three to five songs. Mine is nurture. I hate it at dinner time when I'm in a low and someone says, what's for supper? I hate demands on me when I'm low. So I want to feel love. So you put on your headphones and you listen to your love, you know. I was going to say CD. That's see, that's how old I am now. It's okay. <laughs> I, there might be a CD player over there on my desk. So, and one other one. Anyways, um, I love what you're saying. It's so it's so deliberate. You know, uh, it, I, and I'm thinking back. Yeah, I used to. We used to. I used to make playlists all the time. I used to record them on my cassette recorder. Um, there's dating yourself years and years and years and years ago, right? Um, but uh, it's so deliberate what you're doing. And, and it sounds like the book takes us through the exercise to execute 
that deliberate and and to have it apply. Um, let me ask this: Does does my favorite song belong on every playlist I make? No, no? <laughs> it can't. It can't because it belongs on your favorite playlist one for sure, and maybe it will transcend. But if we're like, for example, your favorite song may not be one that calms you or soothes you. It might not. Right? Fair. Yeah, yeah. So, and you know, it's interesting because there's research out there that says 20 minutes of listening to music that deeply soothes you equals 10 milligrams of Valium. Wow. So that music might not be like my favorite song actually does fit on that playlist, but it doesn't fit on my motivation playlist for when I am trying to get in my 20 minute run. It doesn't fit there. And I was going to ask about, I was going to ask about the workout because everybody says, oh, I need some music. So when you're building the playlist, the working out, the running, the lifting, the weights, and and, and we could say this about anything, right? What's yeah. actually happening? Like when we're listening to those specific songs what's happening to us like is it like you talked about the highs and lows um i guess you can i guess you can put the wrong song on those types of playlists too where you well, don't have energy yeah and you feel it right um like you like i also go to um personal training and and i talk a lot with the coaches about this mm-hmm. i go twice a week and we talk about this a lot about what um uh, tempo um, is good. And, and this is even unique. This is where that personal piece comes. So I, when I was just mentioning running and I almost started laughing when I was saying running, cause it's been a while since I've gone out for a run. I'm the worst runner ever. And by worst, I mean, like I'm always last, like I go to those groups and I'm always, always last. <laughs> so I go, Oh, I want to get as much advantage as possible. So I did what they say, you know, 120 beats per minute, put it on, get all my music. I was ready to go. I got out there one minute in, I'm exhausted. Like I'm exhausted because that's too fast for me. So I need to listen to Evanescence, big orchestral music that can literally lift me and help me run. And I'll still come in last, but I'm going to feel better. <laughs> I was going to, yes, she's going to feel better. Um <laughs> No, that, you know what, that's really insightful. And you, you also had me thinking, cause you, you talked about students earlier, Jennifer, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and I'm thinking university college, I guess elementary too, but university college, the importance of having a study playlist where yeah. if, if they do go through your book and they do the exercises mm-hmm. and, and, you yeah. know, in between those exams, in between studying, cause I always said to say to my kids, if you're studying for exams, or tests, don't, don't go watch TV, listen to music in between. Cause I mm. think I, and I'm not a therapist. I have mm-hmm. nothing to value. Mm. I just knew from my own yeah, old yeah. experiences, listening to music always made me feel like the brain was still kind of going. It was a break, but yeah, it, yeah. Got, it got me thinking. And so going back to studying was real easy. Cause I was already thinking, Love that. Um, but, but maybe they would benefit them, no, like to have that type of I, list? Yeah. I, again, it's a little bit preference here because you also know. So I like how actually you just phrase this in between 
the studying. Right. So using it as the brain interrupt, like actually doing some form of cognitive interrupt that they're having, but that still keeps the brain active, but in accessing new areas of the brain, because, you know, it's not, people say we only engage the brain, 10% of the brain. That's actually not true. We engage 10% of the brain at a one time. We can bounce around and use a lot of areas of the brain, just not all at the same time. So by using music, we're going to bounce to another area of the brain, still keep at some cognitive load, and then be able to come back and use energetically that cognitive action that's still that activated state onto the homework side. So I love that you said that. Some people do listen to music, um, especially um, I'm finding electronic music, like something that has a really, really repetitive beat while they're doing home um doing their work. And some people are using something called binaural beats, which is when it's alternating left and right side. And that seems to keep them calm, but also focused. So I myself work best when I listen to music in between the work, exactly as you're saying. I can't do it simultaneously, but I have worked with people who find another way to really make it work. So there is some preferential um, is, makeup. Is the, um, and you, you, you talked about the beat hmm. is the, is the type of music or the beat important based on the activity? Oh, that's so good. Right. <laughs> um, like is groove important. Um, you know, I guess it depends on the scenario where to, I'd like to say yes to all of this, but I don't know if we've got enough evidence to know that there's any standardization with it. Um, what I do know are people with Parkinson's when they get in that frozen state and if there's the right music at the right tempo, they actually will walk as if they don't have Parkinson's and I've seen it repeatedly and they don't get into that frozen state. Um, so the tempo is very, very significant. The groove, the connection to the groove is very significant. I have seen people, um, yeah, go from not tapping a toe to tapping a toe by groove for sure. Um, Tempo really seems to be a major player on stress. You know, they recommend around that 60 to 70 beats per moment uh, per minute when you're wanting to come down and have a true relaxation. But then I've worked with some teens going, oh, my gosh, that just causes me all sorts of anxiety. I need something like at about 80 to 100. <laughs> and so so why? Right. So why I love being a music therapist is my job isn't to convince anybody on what's a, the right thing. It's to find the right thing for that person. And that's why this job is so curious and interesting. You are custom. You customize it. We yeah. customize. We customize. <laughs> um, look, so we've been talking a lot about your books, but you don't just write these cool books and helpful books. You do public speaking engagements as well. Um, for anybody who's listening, because sometimes corporate listens to us as, as well. Um, who like tell us about who the ideal customer is for your engagements, and then 
I know you have a website, Jennifer. I'm looking over there because on my other screen, it's got <laughs> your your beautiful website, jenniferbuchanan.ca. Um, is that the way they go about contacting you if they're interested? And, and yeah, who is that the would be great. Yeah, that would be great. Um, the groups, uh, I mean, it, they always say that you're supposed to pick an audience, right? And it's so tough when you're talking about music that affects all of us. Yeah. I love speaking to frontline workers who are totally stressed out and remind them on how music can be a resource for them, um, you know, their day to day. I love talking to corporate teams who just have not talked about music with one another ever, and then realize this is a way that we can build team culture and connect together and learn about one another in a whole new way. And then all of a sudden feel creative and productive. So I love that piece. I love, um, speaking, um, uh, Gosh, I, I mean, I love talking to teachers, you know, like uh, it, there's just so many different groups, but it's conferences, you know, when we come together um, and we want to learn some new tools and resources, um, mental health takes a lot of ingredients and, and music's one of them. So you can go into a corporate office, you can go into schools. Um, yeah. really it's, it's any, anyone who's interested in leveraging the technique or understanding more about it, you can do those engagements and we'll oh. go through jenniferbuchanan.ca. There's a contact form, I think there where they can do that as well. Right. It's great. Awesome. Jennifer, um, I, this is so cool. <laughs> I've enjoyed talking to you so much. I think, uh, you know, all the information you provided folks are just going to enjoy it and eat it up. Um, I thank you for coming on to the show and giving us these insights. Uh, and before I, I let you go, was there anything else that you wanted to touch on? So I, I, and I say this to everybody. Um, this is my broken record part where I go, is there anything you'd like to leave us with? Because I always worry that, you know, I've asked all these selfish questions of things I want to know that I think people might want to hear, but maybe there's something else. So is there anything else that you'd like to leave us with? You know, I mentioned earlier that what I'm hoping is everyone just uses music 5% more. I, I like reminding people that a song is never just a song and a playlist is never just a playlist. A song is an incredibly meaningful moment to you that's meant to be remembered. And a playlist is represents your amazing journey um, that you're looking at for something about yourself or to share with others and I uh, am just really grateful to have had this conversation with you. And now you're a part of this journey with me. And I'm just delighted about it. We are all on this journey with award-winning Canadian music therapist, multi-time author and speaker, Jennifer Buchanan. I will have all of Jennifer's contact information and links to her books in the podcast notes. You can check her website out on jenniferbuchanan.ca and get going on your wellness well-played journey right now. Jennifer, thank you so much and take care. You too. Thank you. What better way to follow up our chat with music therapist Jennifer Buchanan than with music? Let's go back to Crashing Wayward and here's their song, Stranger Days.
There we have it, folks. That is Crashing Wayward with their song, Stranger Days. We're going to hear more from them later on in the show, so stay tuned. All right, we've reached that part of the show where I usually read you an article of some sort or a story that uh, has some element of truth to it, but also enjoyment and creativity. This one is called Music Fuels Roller Skating on Site Set for Demolition. And you can also read the article over on guidoperino.com. Here we go. Family Day happens in Ontario in February, landing between the Christmas and Easter holidays, giving families a small winter break. Kids welcome the day away from school. Parents search for things to do, places to go, and people to see. I guess anything that gets everyone out of the house. This Family Day, our big idea was introducing the kids to something we hadn't done in decades. Something nostalgic. Something we could say we were good at back in the day, at some point in our lives, and they would have zero proof otherwise, even if we weren't that good at it now. That something was roller skating. The first obstacle was finding a place to go. It turned out that we had a couple of options. The one we settled on looked a lot like the one we'd been to the last time we went in 1984, Or was it 1986? The year didn't matter. In the pictures, it looked exactly like we wanted it to look like. It looked exactly the way we wanted to remember it. The kids looked unsure. We looked like we'd found the fountain of youth. In my head, those pictures brought back memories of me doing one skate wheelies while bopping to Push It by Salt and Peppa. Or leaps and back twirls to Van Halen's Jump before Uptown Girl by Billy Joel sent us all into a hand-clapping rhythm. 1986 was a long time ago, and those memories might not be exactly how the skating part of the experience went. The kids were probably a little bit worried about how it might go as they listened with one eyebrow raised. We packed the van and headed off to Mississauga, Ontario, a short 45-minute drive. Mississauga hosts Canada's busiest airport, commonly known as Toronto Pearson, and we always look forward to watching the planes fly overhead. As roller skating memories and travel transitioned us to present day, we arrived at Scooters. There was already a line formed outside the building as we joined. I couldn't make out the songs, but I could hear the bass beat through the concrete walls. As we waited for our turn to pay, the door into the rink area would periodically open as others went through and the music volume would go up, kind of like watching TV and the commercial level goes up a notch to get your attention. The door was a solid one-way gateway that made sure nostalgia was protected until you were ready to pay to walk through it. As we waited for our turn, I was slowly going back to the future. Admission was $20 per person, including skate rental, for which we received a reusable paper ticket stub to claim them. As we walked through the protected passageway to the Narnia of roller skating that awaited, the music was now clearer. Greeting us on the other side was the end of Joja Cat's Woman, as it blended to Miley Cyrus's Flowers. As we walked through, I saw the flashing ceiling lights, the music speakers lined up over the skating floor, the disco sequins, the concession stand, the lockers, and the skate rentals, along with a Lysol spray bottle next to them. 
It looked exactly like we'd left it almost 40 years ago. It felt familiar, comfortable, exciting. I looked back at the kids and they too were taking it all in and mixed with the uncertainty of standing on skates with four wheels was also that look of doing something exciting for the first time. With our laces tied, boots tucked away in the locker, and the DJ shouting out rink rules, we all cautiously stepped onto the rink. We made our way around, following the others in a circle as Abba's dancing queen moved everyone forward. We watched small children weaving in between their parents. We saw some people falling, some people dancing, some people laughing, and some running on skates with their arms flailing about them like spaghetti strings. As the moments turned to minutes and the minutes turned to an hour, we decided to take a break and enjoy some slushies. You know, flavored crushed ice in a cup with a straw that has a little split at the end to make it spoon-like so you can scoop up the ice. There were three flavors to choose from, raspberry, cherry, and banana. Those and all concessions could be purchased using cash only, as the sign on the counter politely advised. I was so excited, I got a brain freeze as I scooped my cherry slushy up into my mouth too fast. As we enjoyed our treat, the DJ continued to play music. This time it was Happier Than Ever by Billie Eilish. By the time we were ready to head back for more skating, Made You Look by Megan Trainer was welcoming us onto the floor. As we resumed our skating and I looked around, it became apparent that every aspect of this fun day was bound together by music. The moments we would remember today, much like the ones I remember from 1986, would be tied to a song, a beat, a lyric, or an artist. The last song we skated to was Macarena by Los Del Rio. I'll remember that not only because I have a video of us moving to the rhythm of the song as we performed its routines, but because everyone was happy, smiling, and laughing when we were taking off our skates, we started talking about the next time we'd come back, how much fun it was, how bad we were, how good we got, and how much we loved the music. I don't know if scooters will be around by the next time that we have a chance to go back. The property is slated to be torn down to make room for condos and transit access. I hope it doesn't happen. I hope it gets to survive. I hope more generations get to enjoy the nostalgia of roller skating along with the music that gives it life. If it does, though, if the day comes that the building must come down, I hope they play a song while it happens. Maybe a little Rocket Queen by Guns N' Roses. Don't ever leave me. Say you'll always be there. All I ever wanted was for you to know that I care. This is an opinion article by me, Guido Perino, of the Monthly Social Podcast. It may also be heard on the Path Radio Mix online. You can read other opinion articles right here on the blog page at guidoperino.com. All right, our next musical guest is coming up shortly, and that is Gotta Be Alley. But before we hear from her, let's listen to one of her more recent songs called 24.
That is Gotta Be Allie with her song, 24. We're going to talk to her in just a bit, right after we hear from one of our friends of the podcast, Recipes at My Table. Recipes at My Table is a work of family, love of food, and sharing of stories. The stories keep the memories alive and make every day a party in my kitchen. Join me for the sharing of traditional Italian recipes and so much more. Visit me at www.recipesatmytable.com. I'm welcoming to the show Canadian music singer-songwriter, Canadian Country Music Association rising star, and female Artist of the Year nominee, multi-charting country artist with hits like Don't Say You Love Me, No One Like You, and Moonshine. With those accolades, you gotta be Allie. Hey. Hi, Allie. <laughs> Welcome that's, to the show, I, Allie. I think that's the best intro I've ever had. I love right that. On. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. And you know what? You're on a very special episode of the Monthly Social um, Podcast because we've never done an all music episode. And this is an all music episode. And you got the country corner on it. So welcome. Thank you so much. How are you doing tonight? Amazing. Um, just can't believe how quick the year is kind of going by, but it's very exciting to be working on new music. I was actually in the studio today, so I can confirm there's a lot more music coming for me this year. Oh, we gave it away early. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got some pretty cool stuff going on in the background there. Is that is that like uh, custom? Custom wall going on? Yeah, or? that is my... So when I moved to Nashville now... About four years ago now, I moved in. I was like, okay, I can't afford... It was my first time also living on my own for the first time. And I was like, I can't afford any like cool artwork. So I put up some easel paper. I, from a Facebook ad, found a guy who was selling a bunch of like old, cool, vintage fashion magazines. And wow. I went through like the first couple months and built my own kind of like vision board. Something something fun to kind of talk about the next era of Allie and what it's going to be. So um, yes, that is all, that is all me. <laughs> it is, it is funky. Now, if we release the video version of this at some point, yeah. People are going to get to see it, but they got to just some imagination going on here for folks listening in. Now, yeah. look, you dropped Nashville there, but I you're in Edmonton. You're in Edmonton, Alberta gal, right? Edmonton, born and raised. That's so far been yeah. most of my life has actually been in, in Edmonton. And um, I still love going back. I try to go back as much as I possibly can because obviously my family's still there and all of that. But um, Edmonton inspired a lot of my songs. That's for sure. So shout out, shout out Edmonton, shout out Alberta. Now, listen, do you, it's interesting. We use the word home. Do you call Edmonton home or do you call Nashville home when you talk to people? It's tough because I've done both. And I think the hardest part is when I say, oh, I'm going home when I'm on the phone with my mom driving, like to get back to my apartment. And she's like, no, that's not home. Edmonton is home. (laughs) Um, I've dropped both, but Edmonton is truly home. I like your mom. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Right on. Hi, mom. (laughs) Um, So what are some of the differences? Just for folks, like, because, you know, we talk about all these different places and I talk to people all over the world. So what are some of the differences between Edmonton and Nashville? I mean, I feel like I was really lucky to be from Edmonton originally because it was a good like leeway into Nashville. It's still same kind of city size, which is awesome. You still got a nightlife, although... Nashville nightlife is especially crazy. Um, And the one thing that I wasn't, I don't know why I didn't think about was weather difference, just the humidity alone and the hot summers here. Like when we get to like 
40 to 45 degrees Celsius. I'm like, what is going on? I'm not used to this at all. I enjoy like a mild 25, you know, like that's considerably a hot summer for me. So um, that's probably been the thing that is the hardest to get used to. (laughs) So during the winter months, were you like wearing shorts and light jackets and people were looking at you strangely or... Oh, I'm, yes, absolutely. Still the one who like goes full blast. And I'm the only one who also gets really excited when it snows here. Everyone else absolutely hates it, but it's like my only opportunity to have like actual snow days. Cause we never got those back home. You know, you get minus 40 weather and it's still like, Oh no, you go to school. And here, like, as soon as it's like minus 10, they're like, shut everything down. Nothing can happen. So um, that's my time to thrive. <laughs> I, you know what, when, when I moved to Southern Ontario, I lived in Sault Ste. Marie, born and raised. Right. So um, I, we really didn't know what a snow day was. So when I came to Southern Ontario and they started talking snow days, I'm thinking, huh, what's going yeah. on? Snow days. <laughs> um, but look, snow, Canada, ice, hockey. Yeah. Are you, uh, are you an Oilers fan or a Predators fan? Oh, I'm, putting, I'm putting you on the spot tonight. <laughs> um, you are. I actually, before Christmas got to go to a Predators Oilers game and I, found the perfect happy medium um, because here in Tennessee, Nashville used to have a football team that was called the Tennessee Oilers. So I found a vintage Tennessee Oilers shirt and I sported it to that game. And um, yeah, it, it was interesting to say the least, but when I'm home, it's Edmonton. When I'm here, it's Preds. I, I feel really weird. I feel like a bandwagon jumper a little bit. Oh, that's okay. I you like you can like two teams, I guess. It, I guess. You know what? It it increases the odds, right? Like if one of them wins, exactly. we just we got a happier alley. So a happier alley is a good thing, right? And hopefully, have a team in the playoffs uh, this year. Right? We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Oilers? No, yeah. I'm just kidding. Nashville, I'm kidding. No, listen. So I your name, Ali. I I'm calling you Ali, and and that's what's out there is Ali. Um, but you have a full name. <laughs> you do. You do you want to, do you want to pronounce it or you want me to try it? Do you want to try? I think you should try. Okay. I'm going to try. So the first name is easy. I'm going to go. Okay. Your full name is Alexandra. Yeah. Adamowski. You got it. You nailed it. Really? That's it. Polish, That's it. Polish heritage, Polish heritage. Um, yeah. Polish Ukrainian and uh, a family mm-hmm. who clearly wanted me to be a doctor and not a musician. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with a name like especially Adamoski, I said that would be a good hockey jersey name. I don't know if that's a great country artist name. <laughs> yeah. Team Canada. I can see you playing for them. Um so when did when did you start going by Ali? Like is that just something that your friends started or yeah, it was my friends calling me Allie growing up, and I always wanted to spell it a little differently to be kind of unique. So A-L-E-E is what I decided to go with. But it's funny because growing up, my friends would call the house and ask for Allie. And my dad would say, there's no Allie here and hang up the phone. Like my parents hated it. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I would get along with your parents. I like yeah. your dad too. That's something I would probably do here. Sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's that's true. cool. And um, so, yeah, it just kind of started to build on and build on and um, made sense because I was like, maybe one day I'll add a last name to it. But for now, it's it's short and sweet. And it's kind of funny, you know, because my parents also now kind of call me Allie and it's it's weird. <laughs> it's weirder by the day. <laughs> yeah, it starts to I mean, you start to have the interaction and it kind of wears on you. Right. So you, you yeah. start to interact that way. But when did 
when did the gotta be alley part kick in? Like when did the, is that something that you consciously did for the music or? Yeah. So that actually, oh gosh, years and years and years and years ago, um, when I kind of started playing live shows and just whatever I could at the time, um, I was probably like 14, 15 and created a YouTube account to post some of the videos because my dad would work on the road a lot and I used gotta be alley. That was it. And it kind of stuck from there. So, um, anyone kind of who knew me from the early days was always searching that to find me. So I guess that's, that's what it is now. Gotta be alley. Gotta be. And there's nothing else you can be. So you gotta be alley. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, about your music, um, you, it's country music and, um, you know, I, we're listening to your songs and, and for a while now, uh, and I'm just curious, everybody is, um, you know, did you find your way uh, to country music or or did country music find its way to you? And and what I mean by that is when you started the, the music journey, you know, did you experiment with stuff and you kind of migrated to country or was it country just started working its way into your songs? It's funny you say it that way because country probably found its way to me. Um, growing up, I was inspired by a lot of, I mean, like I'm a nineties baby. So it was a lot of NSYNC and Britney Spears and that like pop era and, um, grew up with, you know, my first concert ever. I don't know if you're familiar with Yanni, but world music with Yanni. That was my first ever concert. Um, Jesse cook, who's an incredible flamenco guitarist. Um, there was a lot of that in our household too. So it went from, you know, my very pop side of things to, you know, expanding Nickelback. Nickelback was one of my top played artists as well. So I kind of grew up with all these different genres of music that I loved and learned to respect and enjoy the songwriting, I think, of all of those different genres and what made a great song. Um, and then it was high school where I was writing songs and um, started to go to Brad Paisley concerts, Sarah Evans, like all of these people who had these traditional instrumentation behind their songs and a different way of storytelling than I was used to. And things just kind of started to mesh. And that's uh, that's when things started, when I made my first album and I had a sound in my brain where I was like, I know there's a way to mesh these, you know, mandolins, banjos, all of that to make it a little more on that nineties, early two thousands pop side. And, um, it's been many albums now in the evolution of creating the sound, but with each and every single song I create more, I'm finding more of a home of where those things sit right together. (laughs) Yeah. So you brought, you brought together a bunch of genres and, and in that you kind of extracted that special sound that Ali has, which is, which is that country Ali sound. Was there any specific, uh, country uh, artist influences you had along the way or or any country influences you had along the way? Yeah. I know you mentioned, and sorry, you mentioned Paisley and Sarah Evans and things like that. Was was there something that really you went, Oh, that's, that's it. That's the inspiration. I do think like Brad was a real big start behind my, my music and, and love for it because really the first country songs I was writing were that comedic style of like classic Brad Paisley kind of writing. Um, so it started there, but like, I feel like a lot of the pop and country mix probably came a lot from Shania Twain and all of her, you know, massive hits along the way. Um, so there's no doubt it's been fun watching how her songs continue to be, you know, 
everything we listen to now. And now that she's kind of back and, you know, evolving herself as an artist too, it's been really fun to watch. Do you think you guys, uh, you know, in that, in the industry that you're in, in that country industry, and you've got, like, you're out there, you've got some new stuff coming on, Shania's out there, you got that Canadian spin going on. Do you think you help each other out when the stuff comes out at the same time and, and people start hearing it? Yeah, I do. Especially, I mean, females in general right now, I find that it's so awesome um, when you have a female who releases a song that everyone gravitates to and it ends up on the same playlist as a bunch of other women who, you know, they share like interests. So it's it's been really cool to work together, like you said, with um, with Shania, with a bunch of awesome yeah. Canadian artists and, and beyond. Now, do you get compared um, do you know if you get compared to any uh, particular artist, or do you compare yourself to anybody? I feel like just because of my height alone, it's been a lot of Taylor Swift references. <laughs> um, really? <laughs> yeah. a, a lot of that. And honestly, Shania too, too, just coming from a Canadian background, it's funny how as soon as you leave the country, everyone gravitates to Canadian women being Shania. Shania is the Canadian country icon. So um, a lot of comparisons to those two. Um, some Kelsey Ballerina in there too. Um, um, there's a lot of wonderful women right now who I think we're all kind of in that same grouping that works really well for um, people who are also looking to transition into country music who aren't quite sure if they're ready to dive straight into like old classic country, but it's a good like middle ground. Now, are you, are you, when you get those comparisons, are you cool with it? Yeah, I love it. I don't think there's, there's anything better than being told you, um, you know, you sound or remind people of an artist that, that you've admired and like, honestly watch grow and been like, Oh yes, that is the path I'd love to follow. So I think it's really cool. So when you're writing and, and you're doing your music and, and prepping it or whatever, whatever the case is, as you're going through your creative process, are you a, a music first or a lyric first kind of artist? And, and like for me, like I know like when I get the album or when I get the song, one of my favorite things to do is before I even listen, I, I want to read the lyrics. I want to see what the person's going to say. And then I sort of immerse myself in the music. But it, when you write, maybe it's a different process. I'm just curious. Yeah. Um, I think for me, I mean, it depends on the day, but I'm, I'm usually the kind who hears melody first and um, then we get into lyrics, but I will say I am one who will not let a song be recorded until we've perfected the lyrics. So if it means months later, we're going back and rewriting things. Like even today we were like, okay, there needs to be a couple of tweaks in these lines for it to be as strong as it can be and make sense to the fans. I love doing that because I do think, again, this comes back to me being a poetry girl first. Like in, when I was in elementary school, that's what really got me into songwriting was my love of poetry. So it always started with the words for me somewhere. <laughs> do you ever go back to some of your old poems and put a little jingle to them or? I haven't, but I should. <laughs> yeah. I'm just curious, right? Like I, I love writing poetry too. So I'm just curious if, if that's something that um, you thought of. Um, your debut album was released on July 18th, 2013. And Real, one of the tracks on that album was your first single. That came out February 1st, 2012. Now, you've been in the Canadian country music scene for about a decade. Yeah. And um, how has the how has things changed in the Canadian uh, country music scene from when you first started to today? Well, I think, I mean, for starters, back then, there weren't really a lot of how-to guides on 
how to put music out, how to find a producer, how to, you know, do any of those things. So it was a lot of just kind of meeting people at that point and finding my way in the industry and testing things. I mean, that first single reel, I literally Googled all of the program and music directors from like every single Canadian station and called them and was like, Hey, I'm Allie. I'm this new artist. This is my song. Take a listen. And for some reason they started playing it, which is crazy. But like, now I think about the way, like even I found the producer for my newest album now was loading up Spotify and looking at album credits through Spotify. We weren't lucky to have that, you know, 10 years ago. So it's kind of cool how there's more appreciation and more knowledge now, I think, for an artist who's trying to find their way. I think it is just as hard because there's all of that knowledge out there. So there's so many people trying to do it. But I think if you have a want to be a part of an industry like this and make music and all of that, I think it's a lot easier to figure out how to do that. Were you um, making those phone calls? Were you nervous? Yes. Yeah. But for some reason, once you like, once someone picks up the phone call on the other end, all of the worries kind of go away. I think the most stress was like, what am I even saying when we start off this phone call? And the best part about all of it is that a lot of those people that I was meeting back then are still in the industry in some way now and are really good friends of mine. So it's fun to go back and kind of laugh about those days. (laughs) I I think it's amazing because it's only 10, like, you know, we say 10 years can seem like so long, but it's really only 10 years. And the industry changed so much that, that, you know, you were able to do that now. And like you say, now there's a lot of those um, paths and avenues. They're a little bit saturated and, and maybe the same techniques don't work for everybody. But really, in 10 years, that evolution is is really incredible. Um, would you do anything different um, in terms of your music journey so far? I'm going to say no, just because I'm a believer that everything happens for a reason. So I know that even the moments that are not my favorite, they did lead me somewhere. And that's where I was kind of meant to be. Like even Nashville, I think about like all of the years I wanted to be here. It took everything lining up in the right time. So um no, I'm, I'm actually really happy with the way that things have, have gone so far. How did you get out of those moments? The, the ones that you look back and you go, oh, you know, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't redo them because I, I got something out of them, but they weren't that great. How did you get out of them? Taking a step forward. That was the only thing. Like I, even like Nashville, it was a situation where I knew that I needed something different. I needed to change up where I was, what I was doing. I needed to keep myself busy. So it was really just always putting a project ahead of myself and saying, okay, we're going to work towards this now. We need to move forward. So just kept looking ahead, no matter what, if it was a step backwards, you're going to take a step forward, pers- like just move forward, resiliency, perseverance. No yeah. Matter what. To say the least. Yeah. <laughs> so earlier you talked, you mentioned about uh, women in, in country music. Um, was it harder breaking into the industry uh, as a country female artist or has it been more challenging continuing uh, to be part of the scene? I would say probably continuing um, Hmm. just because um, at the time, I honestly, I do really look back and I'm so thankful that I started releasing music when I did. I feel like it was a point where, there weren't a lot of indie artists who were doing it. There weren't a lot of, um, not to say there weren't a lot of women, but there weren't. I was kind of in a great moment where it was the perfect, you know, welcome for me and my music. And now the thing is like, 
you open Spotify, you open up your Apple Music every given day, and there's always a new artist. And they're always younger than you are too. And you're like, wait, where did the time go? Hold on a second. Um, But that's also made it equally as fun because I feel like there is the pressure to reinvent yourself now and then, and also make sure that whatever you're putting out is genuine to you and what you do. And I've learned that at the end of the day, no one can kind of replace what you do as an artist. So if you have something to say and a way to say it, that's, that's your time and and place to do it. Sounds like a lot of on the road, uh, reflection and learning there, Ali. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) Now, um, do you, any of the challenges that you have come across, um, do you think some of them are very, are specific to I'm a woman and I'm having these challenges or are there any, or, or is the industry just, it is what it is and everybody's going to face the same types of challenges? I mean, I definitely think women have it a bit tougher. There's no doubt about that. I don't want to go and say, oh yeah, we have it so hard. We, we do. Like it's to the point where even I look at um, writers in this town, like there's a lot more, I'd like to think male writers that make it through than female writers and girls also have a different perspective on things. So it's tougher to find women to write songs with that understand exactly what you're going through sometimes. Um, With that said, I've been really lucky to find a lot of great women because they're pushing as hard as they are to break, you know, through the boundaries. Um, And that has been awesome. I think there will always be like, I look at producers, for instance, a lot of producers are male. And I think that's also you know, being raised on that idea that producers are meant to be male. So there's not a lot of women who are, you know, put into that position right from the get-go. But I think it's really cool that now we have a bunch of girls who are in positions who are inspiring younger younger women to want to get into production and playing instruments that typically would be more male-dominated. So I think we're moving in a direction where women are going to have more equal abilities, but it, it might take a minute still. Just a minute, but I really, I really like, um, I think you, you brought something up that's really important and you talked about the writers and you talked about the writers being, if they're predominantly male and you're trying to get a different message out there, you're working with them. You're trying to help them understand your point of view. It's not easy for them. It's not easy for you, but you're right. If I think if we, if we, uh, if the, if the playing field sort of levels out a little bit, some of those things might become a little bit easier over time and, and hopefully they do. And it's amazing. Like, I just think, you know, country music and, and the years that we have, the maturity that we have, and we're still, we're still growing and evolving those parts of it. Um, do you have a favorite moment um, from your music journey so far that you can share with us? Something that happened on stage or someone you met or some something that you saw that went beyond the performance even? Yeah, well, the most recent single actually is a really good um, story about that. I was playing a show in Nashville here just over a year ago now, and I was in the middle of my set. I always play one of my favorite love songs, When You Say Nothing At All. And this woman kind of came through the crowd. It was a packed house, but she comes up to the front of the stage and she's kind of interacting with me. And at this point I was in like the middle of the first chorus and she's kind of like waving me down and I'm in the middle of playing. And she goes, I need you to stop playing this song. And I said, okay, this has never happened before. Like, what do you do? So sure enough, I stopped found out she was recently divorced. It was her wedding song. 
And that stuck with me the rest of the night where Uh I was like, wait, that's a really cool idea. Of course, my songwriter brain kicks in and is like, some love songs aren't love songs anymore. And I ended up going to my friend, Josh Gleave, who's like one of my favorite people to write with and told him the story. And he was like, we have to write this song. So sure enough, that's the brand new single love songs. And since releasing it, it's kind of crazy because I just kind of told the story of how it was written on TikTok leading up to release, because that is what we do now, you know? (laughs) Um, And it ended up, we're at like 2.1 million people have seen the video and ended up finding the woman and a bunch more people who have been in, in the exact same situation, which was wild to me because I knew it was relatable, but I didn't know how relatable of an idea it was. Um, so it's really cool how things go from live in-person experience to a song and back to the stage. Now I've been playing it the last couple of weeks and that's been really cool for it to come full circle like that. And this is brand, 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 brand new. It was released February 9th, right? Ah, yeah. February 9th. It had a midnight release, I think. We're going to hear that on the show later, I think, too, right? Oh, I'd love for everyone to hear it. Right on. So we'll play that. Stick around, folks, because we're going to hear Love Songs by Gotta Be Ali. Um, Continue to talk about your music. Um, A song before that uh, is another single. It was called 24. How about, can you tell us a little bit about 24? Yeah. So um, long story short, 24 was a song that I wrote for my little sister, Lauren. Um, I'm the oldest of three kids. And my sister, she's one who, if you come to a show in Canada, you'll actually see my sister on stage. She plays banjo and she sings with me. Um, she's featured on a bunch of my live stuff over the years and a bunch of the recorded songs. She's written on a couple of them, sang oh, wow. on a bunch of them. Um, family's always been really important to me, but um, it was pretty tough. Well, I, you know, moved here to have such a distance from my sister. I think it's like 2,300 miles or something like that. I don't even want to figure it out in kilometers, but um, it was tough because I'd always call home and she'd be going through a lot of the same things that I was going through when I was getting into 25. And that was the year actually that I moved to Nashville. So it's kind of crazy how everything comes to be. It's that moment of like realizing, okay, it's time to kind of be a grown up now. And I remember all my friends were getting married and having kids and all of this. And I was just like, I'm just trying to figure out how to make it to tomorrow, you know? Um, so I had this idea to write a song for her. I went into a room with a couple of my friends and sure enough, one of the girls that I wrote with was 25 and was going through the same thing. So it was really cool to, to write something so specific. This album has definitely been more focused on like my real life and telling stories about me. Whereas I feel like some of the last of the music was more me writing from the outside, looking in on all of my friends and all those kinds of things. So it's been nice to have more of that personal touch to the album. I was just going to say, it, it sounds like you've, you're going through a personal journey that you're going to share with us on, on these songs. And, and we're going to listen to that one too. We're going to listen to 24. So folks, again, stick around and, and we'll do that. Now, look, you've told me about um, who you're writing with and, you know, who you're, who you're writing for. Who are you singing to? Who's your, who are, like, who's your audience out there? Uh, do you have some, somebody uh, specific in mind? Is it everybody? Is it you know, girls, is it guys? Is it, do you have something in mind when you're putting these things together? Yeah. Enough to the point where I know 
that I just want to make music for people who need to explain how they feel through songs. That's what music always did for me. I loved going back through my playlist and listening to Avril Lavigne on the days that I had some angst and, you know, some Brad Paisley when I felt like I was in love. I just like really wanted to make the soundtrack for people who needed to try and explain what they've been going through. So with that said, I, you know, always try and make sure that the album is kind of filled with some heartbreak songs, some songs about life, some love songs, some songs about going out and partying and have fun with your friends. I've just like, I always like to make sure that there's something for everyone. Um, And the one thing that I've learned over the past years is that to never stress about, you know, writing for, to make everyone happy. As much as I say, it's something for everyone. I've definitely moved into this world of like, I make things that I really love. I make music for me. And then whoever is going to find that, who loves it, those are my people. Well, I think I'm one of those people, Ali. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, that's pretty cool. Um, look, it sounds like you're always making music, but when when you're not, what are you doing when you're not making music? What do you do for fun? Oh, I've started rock climbing recently. That's, oh, that's a new fun thing for me. Um, I found that honestly, like that's one of the only things that I've done as of late that my brain actually shuts off the music side. Not that I don't love the music side, but sometimes my brain does need a little bit of a break. Um, so that's been fun. And if it's not that honestly, probably some Netflix TV shows now and then, but I'm, I'm in like writing mode a lot in the back of my brain. (laughs) It's hard to switch off. Once you get going, it's hard to switch off. Yeah. When you, when when you're when you're performing on stage and somebody is singing the words to your songs, how, what does that feel like? It's pretty cool. It, that, that will never get old. That is uh, something really special. I've had fans um, message me for like handwriting of certain lyrics that they've had tattooed on their bodies, which I still can't believe. That's wild too. Um, and even hearing a song come on the radio, it's it's still really cool. Like there really is nothing like the first time but they all do feel just as cool. Every time. Um, What do you have coming up in 2023? So you just released this song. You got more stuff for us in in the coming months? I've got new stuff coming. Like I said, I was in the studio this morning and this is the year I feel like every year for the past couple of years, everyone was like, okay, when's new stuff coming? And I would always say soon. And it took so long to make that happen. And, you know, exiting 2022 and entering 2023, I made sure that we had things lined up so that everyone does get a lot of music from me this year. So much more than they're used to. I don't know what people are going to do with all of this music, but I'm very excited to share all of it. Um, for the rest of the year, you've got a lot more stuff coming. Well, we're going to, we're going to play it and we're going to read it and we're going to listen and we're going to dance and we're going to love it, Allie. Oh, amazing. Thank <laughs> you. Allie, it's been a pleasure having you here with us. And, and before I let you get back to your music making, your boots stomping, music <laughs> making, is there anything else that you'd like to leave us with uh, that maybe I didn't ask you today? Honestly, just this whole story of love songs really reminded me to try and always put yourself in someone else's shoes and remember that people are going through hard times some days and just to try and be as, as wonderful to people as you can be. So if there's one thing that I can share today, it is be wonderful to the people that you see on the street. Um, and, and just, you never know when you're making someone's day. 
That has got to be Ali, our Canadian music singer-songwriter, CCMA Rising Star and Female Artist of the Year nominee, multi-charting country artist. Again, thank you for connecting with us today. Keep on rocking, Ali. Now let's go listen to her latest single, Love Songs. It was plain when we first kissed. Truth is, I was already falling in. Overplayed it on a road trip. I miss how much easier it was back then. Yeah, it was ours. We listened for hours. And that old Toyota Camry full of memories. When I hear that. Thank you so much, Allie. All right, folks, we are getting closer to the end of our show for March. But before we do that, I'm going to read to you an article that was posted over on thepathradio.com, and it's called Katie Dawson's Virtual Sky Past the Sea. Katie Dawson is a Richmond Hill, Ontario resident who has parlayed her passion for guitars and career challenges into an eclectic musical adventure. She is an innocently transparent storyteller, whether she is performing or just having a chat with you over coffee. While a student at York University, you could also find Katie working at the David Dunlap Observatory, where she was conducting research. She would later use the observatory in one of her music videos. She has a happy smile whenever she talks about her work there. After graduating, Katie struggled to secure regular employment as a copywriter. Still determined to use education as a foundation to find employment, she graduated from bartending school. But that too didn't land regular work. 
she found Katie, her stage name, and comfort in her music and eventually decided to share it beyond her immediate circle of family and friends. With the help of her father, who she says, with an endearing look and chuckle, is her roadie, she began playing her music across various venues in the Richmond Hill area. Katie has been releasing her music on digital platforms like Spotify, where you can hear her songs like Virtual Sky, a catchy tune that will have you craving coffee as it blends its entertaining psychedelic lyrics against a snare-driven beat. Her folk-based library is about to get a new shelf of material as she releases her new album, Past the Sea, a 10-song experience on March 24th. The new album has some intriguing song titles like The Raccoon Shuffle, Paper Crane, The Ballad of the Blue Unicorn, and the album title track, Past the Sea, among other fun-sounding unique pieces that largely reflect Katie's playfully sincere personality. She also has a single called Road Trip releasing on May 5th. Katie recently performed her new single at the Laura Cavasisi Musical Showcase hosted at the Fairview Theatre in Toronto. You can find more information about Katie and her music on katiedawson.ca. Katie, we wish you the best in your musical journey. You can also hear Katie's songs over on thepathradio.com, which supports and encourages indie artists. All right, we are almost at the end of our March show. Thank you so much to all of you for being here and for listening uh, to our all-music exclusive uh, episode. Thank you to all of our guests and their fantastic music and for sharing it with us. Let's have Stacy David Blades and Crashing Wayward take us out of March with their chart-topping song, Breathe. <laughs> 